welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting Professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast are Terry and Nick Gobert. Terry is a legend in Indiana high school baseball. In his time at Jasper High School, he's won six Indiana state championships, including the final two single class titles. He's one of five coaches in the state to reach the 800-win plateau. Jasper High School is a tradition-rich program that includes Scott Rowland and Matt Mock as alums. Nick is entering his first season as an assistant at Walter State. He started on varsity for four years for Terry. After high school, he attended Dayton University and the University of Southern Indiana. He started his coaching career at USI and was with Indian Hills last season. Coach Gobert has the blueprint for running a successful organization. In this episode, we cover how they handle the player-coach relationship, developing winning traditions, how experience still has value, keeping things simple, knowing when to pivot your philosophy, practice planning, and how to incorporate family into your program. Let's welcome Terry and Nick Gobert to the podcast. Here with Terry Gobert, Jasper High School, six-time Indiana State champion, uh, fifth coach in Indiana history to reach the 800-win plateau. And then Nick, his son, played for him in high school, now at Walter State, but was at USI and also Indian Hills. Shout out to Indian Hills, Iowa, um, my old stomping grounds, then played at Dayton and USI. So thank you guys for coming on with me. Appreciate you having us. Yeah, it's great to be on. Thanks, Ron. Terry, you've been one of my favorites for a long time, but were there challenges for you when Nick was in high school with coaching him? <laughs> um, yeah, you know what, looking back, I, I have four daughters and Nick. Nick was the firstborn, and I'd love to do it differently. You would with almost every player, but I really didn't realize how much pressure he was putting on himself. I should have been a little more, a little smarter. The, the, the luckiest thing about coaching Nick is the hardest working kid ever coach so that was never an issue it was never an issue about his effort attitude or anything else I just wish I had been a better dad and reflecting kind of taking some of that pressure off of him does that make it easier though that he's one of your hardest working kids oh you know what I talked to a lot of coaches I did my homework before coaching him and there's a lot of great coaches in Indiana who have coached their son and the first question they always ask is he any good? <laughs> and looking back I even understand that more and yes he was he was good and in fact 
freshman year, I didn't have him in the lineup and my other assistants sat me down after a couple of weeks and said, we know what you're doing, but any other kid would be up here right now. And, and he ended up starting his first game then the next night. And from that, from that aspect, Ryan, never an issue. He's all the way through his collegiate career. Um, I, I really mean this. He got more out of his ability than any kid I've ever coached because I didn't give him a whole lot to work with. Nick, was that the pressure on you? Cause you're playing as a freshman. I mean, I wasn't good as a freshman in high school, so I didn't have to worry about playing at that point at varsity. But was there pressure on you because you're a freshman? I wouldn't say it was so much as a freshman. It was just that um, I've been around Jasper baseball long enough that the expectation is to win the state title um, every year. And I was supposed to win four state titles. So just kind of going into it and maybe not enjoying the little things as much as I should have and just kind of looking, you know, into the season goal all the time and, you know, we might beat a team 10 to one early in the season. And I already know that he already knows that that's not good enough to beat so-and-so in the sectional regional and semi-state. So kind of seeing it that way and just the expectation part, um, I let get to me, I would say too much in high school and then try to enjoy it more my senior year and had a little more success um, because of that, I think. Is that when it slowed down finally for you as senior year? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Just one real, it was real that I wanted to play college baseball and I, um, I, kind of self-reflected and saw the amount of pressure I was putting on myself um, and just decided to enjoy it and see where it takes me. And we win, we win. And of course we got red, two red ribbons, but that's all right. Um, but no, that's, that's definitely what changed. What are your first memories of, of being at Jasper's field? So we said off, off air, I was, I think it was one week or two weeks old. I was at a game. Don't remember that, but just fresh out of the hospital, joined, went to play off Jasper baseball game. But um First I remember is at the old stadium in the dugouts and pretty important game. And I think I'm shirtless asking dad if I can take BP before like the regional or something. And he says no. And I get ticked off and um, go pout at the end of the dugout. That's probably my first memory. It's a pretty good picture of that too, that it used to be my Twitter profile picture actually. But um, that's probably the first one, but the memories are just usually just from the dugout. He, I'm, I thank him a lot for that, just allowing me to be around it and see it and talk to the guys and, you know, the amount of players that I can remember because of that and all of the championships and those things. Um, it was just incredible to be around and see it from that angle. Terry, when did you feel comfortable with letting him get on the field with your players? Oh, you know what? Nick was five days old when he went to the regionals when he came home. He was born between the two. But uh, you know what? By uh, three, four, I know he always had a buddy somebody that would protect him in the outfield. You know, we didn't let him go into the infield, but had a hard time keeping him off the field. And he had his own pinstripe uniform. And we have a really neat picture. I don't even know how old he is. I tell people he was 16, but he was probably five. And he was pouting after the game because I didn't get him in. And, uh, you know, just a lot of good memories like that. But he's always just been at home. He was the one kid that could be in the dugout and knew when to be quiet. Uh, I've had assistant coaches over the years want their kid to come in and, I think one of my infamous meltdowns where there were three or four coaches' sons in there and they were throwing a tennis ball at the wall and I made reference, it's not a Chuck E. Cheese and they need to leave. And I never had to do that with Nick. He just, he just knew when to get away from me, I think. Had you coached Nick at all before high school? You know what? Um, I think I helped with the All-Stars maybe one year, Nick. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. for the most part, I, I just stayed away. Um, you know, there was – I wish I'd been a little more involved. You know, he played some – small level travel, just, we really limited it, but even then things can get away from, you know, how much they're pitching, how much they're playing. But, uh, 
I, I will say this. I don't think we ever brought the game home. I never did as a parent. I know with my daughters, I never tried to come home upset or carry it over. But um, I never really coached him until high school, and I kind of did that on purpose. Nick, how did you guys handle that relationship then? I think that would be the hardest as high school age because you have to go home. You know, I played for my dad and brother. I didn't have to go home. If I had a bad game, I was going to go to the apartment or the dorm, so I didn't have to see my dad. So, you know, how did you guys handle kind of taking it home with you guys? <laughs> go ahead, Nick. Uh, I mean, early on, struggle in terms of get called up as a freshman. Again, I have a lot of expectations on myself. Um, and, and I would personally bring it home where he might not, but, and I would kind of in the back of my mind, I'm wondering, you know, is this my dad or is this my head coach when I get home? But he did a great job with that from the get go of, um, you know, just being dad when we're at home. And, um, as the years went on, I kind of knew when to go down to the basement or when to get up in my room, just so we don't even have to go there. Um, but he handled it well every year. I would say the hardest year was, was junior year. I had, um, first period was a uh, weight class that he helped teach. And then second period was study hall prep, which I worked in his office. Third period, I had him for U.S. history. And then uh, obviously after after school, I had him at practice. So um, that was a challenging year between the two of us, but we got through it and we're still here today. Did you guys do much on the side? Because Terry, I get this question a lot from parents as far as development with younger kids. Did you guys do much on the side when Nick was growing up? Uh, we, I would hit if he asked to hit. You know, he would want it when it was real. I'm sure you were the same way. I'd come home from practice or a game, and he's three or four and wants to go out and throw. And I used to make reference. Um, anybody, anybody else, they'd say, what a great father-son moment. But when you're the head baseball coach, people say, I saw you had Nick out making him hit or making him get his swings in. And I never did that. And then in high school, especially that junior year, it just didn't work. I think Nick will back that up. We'd go down, try to hit maybe on a Sunday and be back in about three minutes. You know, we just, one of us would blow up, the other would blow up. And looking back, I should have handled that better. But when he was young, I never once, I, none of my kids, I've never made them, you know, we're going to go out and dribble in the basketball. We're going to work on this. But if he asked for help, uh, he struggled one year. As you know, Ryan, back then, your junior year was your big year far as colleges you didn't sign kids out of a elementary school or commit and you know you put a lot of pressure on that junior year and I, I probably looking back we should have sat down and talked about it more and kind of opened up but uh, when he was young it was always he just wanted to go out and play the game what are some of your guys best memories those four years together for me uh you know I, I got a wall of pictures sitting behind me of all of our kids and a lot of it just involves baseball and just the times where before he was playing in the dugout, just hanging out with him and watching him interact with the kids. Cause to, you know, young boy, they're major league ball players in a program, any program, but we, we put a lot of pride in our program. And then the toughest one was the last game, just knowing that we were playing for a state championship, all the other games, there was always that possibility of winning and moving on. And we got up, I don't even think I've ever told Nick this, but we got up to victory field and, I think he'd been in that dugout with us probably at least six times, five times, six in championship games, a couple other times in semifinals. And I just looked at the dugout and I saw him as like a four-year-old and I just lost it. This was an hour and a half before the game. And I really felt I lost my edge that game. I got soft for the first time in my life because that's the finality. You know, when you, you know, you go out there, this is the last time this is going to happen at this level. But most of my memories are just watching him play the game, not anything that we, him and I maybe shared a moment we were there, we were connected, but I just like watching him have fun. It's such a wonderful game. Nick, what about you? 
Yeah, for me, the, the um, we kind of hinted at it earlier, but my biggest memories are being in the dugout before I even played and just, just seeing how it operated, why Jasper baseball was so good, why dad's so good at his job, the expectations, the, the goals, and and the interaction between the players for me was huge. That was just, you know, I felt like the bat boy and not just coach's son and that sort of deal. And, um, but in terms of high school, I would say early on, just first time traveling with first time playing at Rooksur as a, as a varsity player and, and then going into the senior season and just starting to enjoy practice a little more um, small, small talk in between BP rounds or practice drills or whatever, and just kind of seeing how, how far we come from freshman to senior year. And then, uh, like we said, that was the same time I started enjoying all of it more. So I started just kind of realizing the moments that we're having and just trying to savor them as much as possible. And obviously the run and the tournament was pretty special because um, our senior year, you, you didn't know, it could be your last one. And each time that we got to put on the pinstripes again was just a, another great opportunity, another opportunity for the two of us to still be on the same team, which was pretty cool. Terry, what is going away from the single class system done for baseball in the state of Indiana? Well, you know what? Uh, it's pretty cool. We won the last two single, 96 and 97. And that's one thing I'm really proud of. We were the only program ever to win back-to-back in Indiana. And then we won it again in 98. And I'm not dropping titles on you. I'm just saying when that game ended in 98, it didn't feel a whole lot different. As we explained to the kids, this is all you had. This is the best you could do because some of them were kind of like Coach Schreiber would always tell me those are regional championships, uh, legendary Laporte coach, and I love that man for that. But uh, I, it just changed from the rivalry standpoint. Point we would meet you guys Memorial in the Summa State. You know now we're playing Evansville teams in the sectional. Vincennes was in our sectional. That was a Summa State team, so it took away for it took away that. Because we're the largest school in our area, it took it totally changed our tournament, took away all our county rivalries. And so it's an adjustment. Then with class, teams move up and down and it creates different rivalries. So, you know, I, I've never been a big fan of it, but I, I'm smart enough to move on in life. But uh, it was pretty cool. I'm not going to deny it. We, we got our, we won at Bush Stadium um, in 96. And the kids all put one up on their, for a team picture, put their fingers up. I yelled at him for being cocky and then it hit me. There's 400 and whatever, nine teams and we're the last team standing. So I think it is really special from that standpoint, but it doesn't take away from any other trip because that's all the kids can go after. Is Bush stadium or victory field better? <laughs> uh, victory field's just amazing. Uh, Bush stadium this year, it was 25 years ago, I think to the day, but anyway, 25 years ago when we were going to hit, this year when we we're going to hit, we drove by Bush Stadium and we we're telling these kids 25 years ago, that's where, you know, we won it all and it's apartment complex now or whatever. But uh, Victory Field in itself, and I, I'm sure Nick will back me up, it's just a lot of states do that. And we're very lucky in Indiana to play all our championships in great facilities, but it's just phenomenal. It's just just a neat place to play baseball. Yeah, it's apartment complexes now, Bush Stadium. Yeah. It's, yes. uh, you know, I, I haven't been in Indy in a while, but every time I would drive by there, it would just would floor me that it's apartment complexes. now. Oh, it was a junkyard pile for a long time with the cars and the rebates or whatever. And then you could, it, it just broke my heart. Yeah, absolutely broke my heart. But uh, man, it was really special to win there. Just thinking about, you know, Jasper playing the very first one up there in 67 and 68 and to go up there and win in the last year, it meant a lot for a lot of those reasons. And there's so much history 
And if you're going to build a new stadium, make it a transition, Indianapolis got it right. But there's nothing like in an old stadium. It's like Bossy Field. It's They just don't make them like that anymore. You talked about kind of losing those rivalries. Who who are – is Memorial still one of your biggest rivals? I mean, it seems like you guys do tangle up a little bit still. I absolutely uh, – Coach Merkel, you know, I, I was named a head coach. I was 26 years old, and I don't know if anybody did a better job at getting in my head than he did. <laughs> He would call me boy. He would call me this. He never called me by my name, never called me coach. He'd complain about this, that. And it took me a few years to finally get over that. I mean that in the most respectful way. I love that man and respect everything he's ever done. But I've always had it in my heart, you know, because that was the team to beat coming up. And um, so they still stand out, but in a very respectful way. I've never had any problem between Jasper Memorial. I've loved playing them. Uh, we had a heck of a game this year, extra innings, two to one, and they're going to be a tough team to beat next year. But they stand out just because that was one of the few Evansville teams we played, or at least in the tournament, on a, it seemed like a regular basis. And we're picking up rivals. You know, we played Central when Coach Grease and Coach Gady now, we played them for a long time. But Memorial, there's no lie. I, some of the kids maybe don't feel it as much, but uh, my staff and I do. I mean, I just have so much respect for them. And that's how it was to play for coach also. Like it wasn't any different. Like he wanted to see you stand up for yourself. Like he, he would prod and, and challenge you and challenge you and challenge you to get you to try to stand up for yourself. And once you did that, then yeah. he then he would back off you. But he needed to get you to that point where you're going to stick up for yourself because if not, then you wouldn't get on the field with him if you didn't start sticking up for yourself. And he needed to see that out of you, which he, he knew how to push your buttons in that way. And that's why I didn't get on the field much as a junior because I just didn't handle him well. And then my senior year, I handled him fine. But he wanted to, to see if you could stick up for yourself because I think you realize a game of baseball is tough. So he's going to run you through the ringer a little bit to see if you can handle those challenges. But uh, it wasn't any different playing for him. Yeah. Well, I feel like as a coach, it was the same. And once I did, I felt like we were on a pretty even basis. Like he was, all right, okay, you've grown up finally. But uh, I still enjoy talking to him if I run into him. And Nick, you talked about being in the dugout. How much is that helping you now as a coach? Because you've been, you know, you have a long history, just like I had a long history of what, just watching games. How much is that helping you now as a coach? Oh, it's huge. I, re I mean, I refer back to it and just, you know, I like I kind of hit it out earlier. I could kind of figure out when dad was going to be in a good mood and when he was going to be in bad mood and why. And then as a player, I knew that. So then I could kind of prep my teammates for a hey, he's not going to be happy that we didn't execute bump play in the third inning, but we still won by 12 runs and et cetera, et cetera. So um, I have that angle. I had it a lot as a, as a college player as well, probably too much because overthinking guy, it's just kind of part of my nature. But um, it it made me who I am as a, as a baseball player and as a coach, for sure. Just seeing one, how people interact in the dugout, how he interacts and two, just the, like I got to be in some coaches meetings that definitely no one else got to be in, in terms of, Hey, this is what we're after. This is why we want to challenge this guy. This is why we want to, um, this is why we want to work on this or that or in the other. And then the other thing, just, just setting the expectation. I've said it a lot, but seeing that in the dugout with the experiences and everything and just challenging kids to, to be at their best because they're going to be needed at their best come crunch time in the postseasons. Um, that's the number one thing I took away from it is we prep every game like we're going to win a postseason baseball game and win a state title. And that's the expectation and then um, year in and year out. And that's why they continue to have success and why dad continues to have success um, year, year after year after year. Terry, how do you instill that? I mean, I, I view Jasper as a, a tradition rich program that expects to win. And, and so how do you instill that in your program? 
Well, you know, I, I followed Ray Howard, Hall of Famer coach, and uh, he did a lot of the groundwork for me. It's a lot easier to follow a strict guy who you don't go on spring break, you don't ask, you know, every, everything was laid out for there. And the biggest thing I've tried to do in my career, and I did it when I had zero tournament wins, and we started out five and eight. If you didn't do the job, I'm talking about mentally, you came out of the lineup and learning the difference between a mental mistake and a physical mistake is part of that process. But I've kept our program embarrassingly, embarrassingly simple from the standpoint, we, we believe in give them three outs or less, use all three of ours, put the ball in play. And then the other one is if you know, we went to this uh, late eighties, early nineties, if you walk a guy and he scores a run, the whole team runs a mile. And that was one of the greatest things ever did as a coach. And that first year, we were up to 23 miles in the bank. And then so we came up with a shutout, maybe take some hollow. I didn't know what to do because that's all we were doing is running. But I have not met a baseball player yet that loves to run a mile. And I don't believe you can be a coach and that's all you do. I don't just yell at kids. I don't just push them. But it's very difficult because there's times you want to just back off and enjoy a game. But I always felt if you were the, you know, we can carry 20 guys. If you were the 19th and 20th and you miss a cutout, cutoff, and I don't care if it's 13 to 1, you're going to hear it just like anyone else or you're going to be disciplined. And I really believe players respect that because I, I was on all aspects. I mean, I never played in basketball. And when they don't talk to you, they don't yell at you, it's time to get worried. You know, it means they've lost carrying them for you. So I, I just think keeping it that simple, keeping our rules really simple. I mean, Nick goes to college and, you have hitting zones and hot zones in every count. And he's like, dad, you didn't teach me any of that. I go, nope. I try to keep it. You know, I just believe as a high school coach, our job is to throw strikes, make routine plays and try to put the ball in play. I really believe trying to win every game, but I have one goal. Number one goal always has been when a player's done playing at Jasper, I want him to be glad he played and said he had fun. He doesn't have to like me, but I, I certainly hope there's respect on both ends. Nick, what were some of the things that you picked up right away? You go from your dad in high school and then you go to college. So what are some of the things that maybe stuck out as far as the differences in the level? Well, one is just from each kid and where they came from, just understanding, you know, how lucky we were in terms of how we cared about the little things and how to bunt and how to move a runner and how to play, you know, how to just know what the play is before it even happens. Just a lot of little stuff that I just thought was normal. Um, and then you have fellow teammates that don't understand it or never been taught it. or So that, that was just a big difference between the two right away was where do they come from and how much experience do they have and based off the coach or whoever the program. Um, but I, I just kind of want to backtrack, though, and, and say for Jasper's sake and my dad's sake, the reason the other reason they have success every year is that people are always talking about how kids are changing and, you, you know, kids are changing this and they're not as – the way they used to or whatever. Well, there's still an expectation and with the simplicity that it is, it's the same every year. Um, and he doesn't care if, if it's uncool or if the kid doesn't necessarily think it's the coolest way to do things or whatever, it still gets done. Um, and it gets passed every year. They might fight it at the beginning of the year and then it, it clicks and then they, they're off and running. Right. So it, it's, they're not afraid to challenge kids um, and, and try to get the best out of them. So I just wanted to make sure that was, that was hit and, I think that's a huge reason for their success. But Well, look at T Tony La Russa right now. Everybody in the world said that was a, an awful hire, an awful hire. Right. And then you look and see where the White Sox are at right now. And Terry, talk about that. I mean, you, you have a wealth of experience in the game. I don't think people value experience as much as they used to. I think there's some value to having somebody in the dugout that's that's been through the wars a little bit. 
Yeah, I think you need both. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm 60 years old and Nick helped me out a couple of years ago. I was at that point, like, you know, kids today, I just don't know if I want to do this. And looking back, I kind of backed off. I kind of thought, all right, I'm an old man. They're not listening. And, and I didn't enjoy it. And it's nothing against those kids. And then I just made an effort this year. I said, because we have a hitting, they have a locker room downstairs and a four tunnel hitting area. Then we have a coach's lounge office upstairs. And there were days I didn't go down there and put it into something that in the past I would have. And it just hit me. And then we're not really necessarily going there, but COVID and missing a season was like a practice retirement for me. And it made me realize I'm not ready to retire. I mean, my wife was right on that too. <laughs> Thought that would be a good idea. But you know what I'm saying? A lot of people I talked to and I said, what did you think? And they said, I found out I get to play a lot of golf. And, and you know, they were saying, you know, baseball – takes up beautiful weather and I was miserable and it's not just the game. It's just the kids. And so it gave me an opportunity to recharge. I did a better job of getting to know these kids. So, you know, we had 12 seniors, but I think eight of them were one and done. They never even dressed varsity. So, you know, out of my 20 man roster, I only had three guys back that really played. So I had all these juniors and seniors, like about 15 of them or something. And uh, eight of them were players and the others were managed, but nine of them. My point is, Hardly anybody had any experience and everybody just like, let's get the most out of this we can. And it was one and not because we want to stay, but it was one of my most enjoyable seasons ever because I got back in the trenches and just said, all right, I didn't change things. We still had a haircut rule, but I got them get multiple colored hats or whatever. You know, I'm saying I tried all the stuff. Nick will laugh, but he knows this. I bought a hat a few years ago, throwback duck bill. I called him gold bill, black hat. And we're not going to get it out till a team earns it. Well, they sat in there for five years and two of those teams made it to the state championship game. And I never felt they were worthy of a hat because my expectations were so high. So this year, I really just tried to enjoy it more. You know, life's short anyway, but it was a I hated it for my seniors uh, still do. And we tried to include them every way we could from the season we didn't have. But it helped me realize, hey, I still want to do this. I got I got to get the energy to do this. And I had a lot of fun. I give Nick a lot of that credit for kind of getting on me to get back in it. All right, I'm going to throw some names at you here, some throwbacks. So uh, we talked about Scott Rowland off the air, but for people that don't know, Scott Rowland played for Terry at Jasper, was Mr. Indiana in the state for basketball, had signed at Georgia to do both, uh, actually hosted him on a visit at Evansville. I knew we weren't going to get him to come to Evansville, but he at least came <laughs> on a visit there. Uh, but just talk about Scott oh. a little bit. Oh, you know what? I was, uh, let's see, just in my 30s. So I really didn't quite realize what we had on our hands. And Scott's a goofball, and I mean it in a great way. He's not your typical. I mean, he's a very intelligent kid. He loved all things. But um, watching him do this, and he graduated in 1993, and he played in that great game in 92. We're talking off the air against you guys. But what he did was just phenomenal. But everybody thinks – all my great memories are this hit or that hit. It, it's things like um, Scott had a hit. We were playing the Gibson Southern, the game at nothing conference-wise or anything else. He hit a ball between the short and third base, and all of a sudden he's standing on second base. He just, you know, left fielder took his time. It's a double. But I talked to some scouts. They said, well, he just made another 50000 tonight. You know what I mean? But he did that every night. He played hard. He was a goofball in between. But just watching him in, in 92, we were loaded. 93, we weren't. And he still hit like 500. And he was so patient. And I just look back, you know, and you'd have 18 guys following you like, 
little ducklings when he went out to the cage. And I, I'm not even sure how he handled it all. So it was fun to watch him and see Matt Mock in 97 wins Mr. Baseball. So I was lucky to have two of those guys and same type of athlete and to see them handle that. So Scott helped me a lot in preparing with other kids. But if I had him now, and if I had him now with all his talent and his parents were awesome, they just let me coach him. I can't imagine what a kid of that ability now, what his agent tells him, what, you know, you get these calls, no more than 50 pitches this week or whatever with some parents. I don't get them, but I hear these stories, but just coaching him. And it was more just to see a way he deflected all the fame and just gave it to everyone else. He just loved playing. So in Indiana to have a guy that's that good at hoops, that's six foot five and loves baseball, pretty rare. And, and one of the first Indiana Bulls kids. Too. I yeah. mean, everybody talks about travel baseball, and travel baseball is new. Travel baseball is not new. I mean, that I didn't know who the Indiana Bulls were, but Kyle Ritter, uh, my freshman roommate, pitched for the Bulls also. So that's the first taste of it. But yeah, travel baseball has been around for a long time, if you think about it. Well, they had, uh, you know, our field's named after Alvin C. Ruxer, and they had a Ruxer that uh, maybe a great nephew or nephew. But anyway, the Bulls were going through town. They're going to play because of the Ruxer connection. And I can remember like it's yesterday, Scott's up bad. He's whatever, 6'2", probably 100 pounds. And they said, Coach, you have anybody freshman? We're heading to Florida. We need a you know, guy can hit a little, throw a little, maybe pitch some, play. I said, well, this kid right here. And they're like, no, he's got to be a freshman. I said, well, he's a freshman. And just like in the movies, he turns on one, hits a home run. Uh, they meet with his family afterwards, and he leaves in the morning to go with the Bulls. And I love the Bulls, and they're great for baseball, but I just love the way they discovered Scott Rowland. You know, they were on their way to Florida basically a pickup game just for fun. Who's this kid? And next thing I know, he's packed his bags. And that's back when it was one team. I mean, you're the best 18 or whatever they carried in the entire state. And so uh, that's the connection there and how kind of opened the door. Mock and Phil Kendall also played there, you know, with the Bulls. So it's, it's a neat story. But uh, and, and like you said, travel's been around longer than people think. And Mock's a great story, too, because he signs professionally out of high school, doesn't work out, then goes and play plays quarterback at LSU for Nick Saban, who had recruited him at Michigan State. Yeah, Mock's on our 96 team, and he was our uh, third baseman for basically three years. He wins. I move him to center field and to the mound. What kids do that today? You know what I mean? And so he moves to center field, pitches for us. We win state. He's never thrown a ball 90 miles an hour. He beats like the number five team in the nation in the state championship game. Those 91, 92 hits one up across the street the night before a victory field. And he had committed to play at Michigan state for coach Saban is the connection there. And then the Cubs take him, he wins Mr. Baseball and uh, he's drafted, I think in the sixth round and he plays almost four years of minor league baseball, including up with the uh, lug nuts, right up in Michigan. And Stays in contact with Saban and what is he, 26, 27 years old, playing at LSU and leads him to a national championship at a quarterback. And I think that's one of Nick's heroes right there, right, Nick? Yep. He was one of my favorite Jasper players for sure. Well, and it seemed around that time, Josh Booty was doing, Chris Wanky. It seemed like there were three guys that were playing professional baseball that that got out and and had pretty good college football careers after that. Nick, yeah, what it's just go ahead. Sorry, picture. No, I mean, the guy, you know, won Mr. Baseball and <laughs> he plays in the NFL. And I was lucky enough to coach him for four years. You know, I've been a blessed man. We we played in 10 state title games. We've had nine mental attitude board winners. I mean, that's just unheard of. And it shows, and Nick is one of them. And it just shows what kind of kids we've been able to coach over the years here. Nick, what has Tracy Archuleta meant to you? 
Well, first of all, he, he gave me a, a chance to, um, um, to enjoy the, the game of baseball again. Um, went to play Division One baseball, not because it was the hype Division One baseball. It was just uh, successful at the time and then just wasn't the right fit. I ended up getting hurt, That's, um, and I ended up transferring to him. And uh, it, it, was, it was so similar to how I was raised and within Jasper and the simplicity of it. And the guys were all from the tri-state. And um, so first of all, just him giving the opportunity with that it was remarkable and helped get me back to enjoying the little things about the game and, and hanging out with teammates again and um, just a little better camaraderie at the time. Um, and then obviously he gave me a, uh, I was a graduate assistant. Once I finished up, we went out to the World Series, and then uh, a week later, I'm on I'm on the road going to Lamar, Colorado, to watch a junior college game. And I said, "Well, what am I doing?" He said, "You'll figure it out." And I said, "Am I flying?" He said, "No, you're driving 17 hours." And I said, "All right, perfect, appreciate it." Um, but no, in all seriousness, I learned so much with, um, and I thank him a lot for the opportunity to, to be next to him in the dugout, and he allowed me to coach third base and, as a graduate assistant, and let me go on the road and communicate with other coaches, other schools. And um, I just, the big thing I learned about him is things within the game and when it's time to hit and run and when it's time to bunt. And uh, he was really good out of the bullpen too, which I thought was really impressive things that, um, you know, I knew, I knew about, but didn't have a great feel for yet, obviously. So um, and then he actually was kind of the leading guy and helping me get my job at Indian Hills. Um, Coach Torres and him were at Wisconsin Parkside way back in the day. And um that's kind of the connection there. And I ended up at Indian Hills because of those two guys. And I thank Coach Torres, same thing for um, giving me the opportunity and allowing me to recruit and be the head of a pitching program the first year and then move to the offensive side and be the hitting coach the second year. So could have done it without him. And I, I'm very thankful for him. Terry, Andy Nobla and I were, were teammates at Evansville, but then he comes back and he's at Jasper. Talk about what it's like to have one of your former players come back. He's the AD for a little bit. And just talk about Nobs a little bit. Yeah, it starts with his dad. His dad is the one that hired me, Don Noblet, and he's the coach that led him to the state in 67, 68. He hires me in 85 to be assistant football coach. And then uh, Andy came along, and Andy was a four-year. We brought him up later as a freshman. Uh, one of the smartest players and smartest humans, just a great kid. He's, of all the guys ever had, he's the best. You could stand behind a mountain and say, this is going to run down and in. This is going to go away. And this was, you know, early 90s. I knew nothing about pitching, just throw it over the plate. Hard worker, love coaching him. Um, he has the record for the longest wedding I've ever attended, but that's a whole nother story. And then he gets back to Jasper and he's on the staff. That's, that's so fun. I, and most of my staff is former players. Then he gets promoted and he's my boss. He's the AD. All right, that's good. I got no problem with it. He's a good AD. And now with young family and all, he stepped down and he's back in the classroom and now he's coaching and his youngest son is a sophomore in our program. So it's just baseball, you know, the game is great, but as you know, it's about the relationships and baseball connects you to so many people in so many different ways. And so I've got, you know, him on the staff and some other former players and it's, even the guys that didn't play for you, there's a connection and it's just awesome. So he's a typical guy that's just very proud to have part of Jasper baseball history. Quick break for another one of our sponsors, Mark Pro. That is M-A-R-C Pro. Personally, I used it as a coach for my ragged out BP arm and legs after a tough workout. We saw huge benefits with our pitchers and position players in decreased soreness and recovery time. 
It's an amazing machine that speeds up the recovery process by getting blood flow back to the areas that need it. It's durable and cost-effective. The Mark Pro needs to be a tool in your peak performance toolkit. I can't recommend it enough. Hit me up if you have any questions. Order now on markpro.com and use the promo code ABCA to get 10% off. Now back to the podcast. Terry, any other mentors along the way for you, that, the guys that helped you out along the way? Yeah, you know what? I could, I could name, I won't, but I can name my Little League coaches. I can name, they all had an impact. And one of the things I always try to tell Nick is I, I learn from bad coaches sometimes even more. And when I say bad coaches, just that connection, that vibe. Or I, I knew I wanted to coach when I was in high school. I kept a little notebook and I'm like, I had a coach that always say, give me you know, give me everything. And I'm like, I don't play for you. I play for Greencastle, you know, and I never forgot that. And when I correct myself saying it, if I ever do, I correct it immediately and just say, Hey, you're not playing for me, but give us this. We want this or that. I think that's huge. But I love the best thing I did is I wasn't afraid to ask anybody questions. Uh, I was in GA for coach Meyer at DePaul learned a lot there. I coached basketball from Mike Steele and took a lot of things from him got hired as a football coach, Jerry Brewer, legend. Talk about keeping it simple. So I tried every relationship. I've tried to get something out of it. But uh, it, it was the legends like Ken Shriver, I mentioned, who coached at Laporte, just a legend nationally. And you know what he'd do? He'd tell you anything, anywhere. And, in fact, after 92, I was feeling sorry for myself because that's the best team I'll ever have. Thank you, Memorial. And uh, best team I ever have, and I was talking to him, and I said, Coach, if I can't win with that group, with Roland as my number four pitcher, I'm never going to win. He goes, you're going to win. It's going to be a team you never expected. And after your first one, they're going to come. It's going to be easy, and you're going to be a good one. Now, whether he told that to every kid he talked to that night, doesn't matter because I believed him. So I try to help out any young coach I can. I don't have the answers. But I look to the veterans and Indiana Baseball Coach Association is an awesome organization. And uh, that's all I did. I just shut up and listened. I hung around the best coaches. I still sit in the front row. I go to the ABCA. Nick will vouch for me. But uh, if I'm up till 3.30, I'm there at that 8 o'clock meeting. I take notes. I don't leave. I bring a snack. And I'm not that active, you know, among other coaches. But I try to soak up everything I can. Yeah, what are some memories for you from the ABCA, from the convention? Uh, I – I have great ones. I wish I could tell you some of them because they're after hours, but that's where you learn. I mean, I actually just sat with some legends that um, had no business talking to me. That's the thing I like about this clinic. I mean, it could be Tommy Lasorda sitting there, and if you talk to him, he's going to talk to you. He's going to tell you anything. It could be major league players. You could be sitting after hours, you know, and just talking in the hallway. And uh, so I, what got me was just these people that you see on TV – um, you know, obviously Coach Corbin would be one today and you introduce yourself to him and he makes you feel special. He has no idea who you are. But baseball coaches and at ABC, BCA, they, they will tell you anything and everything. I coach football. I coach basketball. I'm not knocking them. They keep all the secrets, you know. But baseball coach will give you five different ways to throw a curveball and you could be their number one opponent. And that's what I love about the game of baseball. It, you just don't find it any different. So when I go to the clinics, I, I just – you don't know which one's going to hit you. You can read the bio and, oh, I'm not going to miss this. Oh, I'll skip this. And you stay, and you're like, oh, I'm so glad I stayed. So I just look at it. If I go to the clinic and I got one thing, it's worth it. Now I've got a connection. I got my son going, staying with me, whatever. It, you just can't put a price tag on it. Nick, what's your experience, Ben? 
Well, first of all, I want to thank the ABCA for allowing me to be a, a member since I think I was a freshman in high school and I was the <laughs> assistant coach for Jasper. So thank you for that. But um, no, it's it's been awesome. I mean, he knows the Indiana tree so well that I got to meet all of those coaches and all the success they've had and, you know, got to sit in the hotel room and, and, um, and talk it up there. But obviously just being able to, while I was playing in college and um, while I was coaching and, and, and just taking little notes, you know, I've, everybody sees the drills and everybody sees the, um, the big stuff that's up on the board, but just the small bits in between or something that may not seem like a big, big deal while they're doing their presentation, but going back later and finding that person and, say, Hey, what do you mean by this? And those are kind of how I look at it now, just because there's so much information as we all know out there via social media or wherever. Um, I kind of try to find the, the avenues of the not so obvious, I guess. So through com through conversations or um, I like those breakout groups that everybody's doing afterwards and, and just having those conversations, I think have been awesome and where I've learned the most. How are you navigating social media right now as a younger coach? I mean, you're just getting into this thing. And I think about myself back then, if I was your age getting into it now, I think the social media piece would be the hardest thing. I'm, I'm old now, I'm 47. So I, I think I have a little better feel how to navigate it. I don't know how, if I would have done a great job as a young coach or a, a player even with social media. I don't know how well I would have navigated it. So how are you navigating social media? Well, it's a, it's a tricky thing because you can get lost down a rabbit hole pretty quick. You can you don't truly know the player. He, he looks good in a three-second video, and then it's a follow, and then it's a phone call. and then So it, it's great that it leads to recruiting, and it's almost like a, just a recruiting page for each one of them. Um, however, it's also a recruiting page for each one of them. So you do spend a lot of extra time on there, um, but it's good. It, it brings a lot of good, um, especially when it's done right. The one thing on my end, on the coaching end, that I – probably behind on is I don't put a whole lot out myself. Um, I know that's kind of in the coaching tree. Like some guys like to put their drills and um, this is what we're doing. This is what we like. That's just not me personally. Um, one thing that I might need to look into doing more so for employment down the line, but um, I, I really like it from the recruiting in. And, and also you, you get it, you do get a chance to know who the kid is come when you recruit a kid and he's coming on campus, you have a chance to, you know, what he's like and what his personality is like. So I think it brings a lot of good. Uh, I would be, I would prefer the generation without it and, you know, don't have any of it personally, but it does it from the recruiting and it's a lot of good. And I will say for the kids, I think it, it does add a little, um, uh, a little pressure, I would say, to how they have to manage that and how they, you know, try to act professional and, and all that stuff. But overall, I think it's a positive and helps in the recruiting world. What's been the differences for you coaching at junior college now? Maybe some things that you didn't know going into it before you got to junior college. Yep. So one, out of high school, if I'm looking back now, I would, I would go play junior college. I uh, Just from one, the physical aspect of being able to be baseball only, take care of academics, get in the weight room, the amount of hours that I can spend and become a better baseball player is, is remarkable at this level. It's just the hands-on experience of, okay, we have weights in the morning, you got practice in the afternoon. If you want throw BP at nine o'clock at night and you want to hit, let's hit. And if you want to take ground balls, let's take ground balls. So the connections are, I think are easier to come by as well with the players, just because, especially as the younger assistant, you're usually in those um, later hour situations where they want to talk and they want to dive into hitting and, even if they're talking about their life or whatever it is, it's just um, the connections are easier to make um, at the junior college level. Um, the other thing that I, I we, we talk about is um, 
you know, academics is a big part of it when you're talking to the kids about, well, I don't want to go to junior college because of the academic side. Well, the way we, we kind of look at it is if you're not going to Harvard and you're not going to Yale, your, your first year classes are pretty similar everywhere you go. And then you're going to cut your financial expenses, expenses in half. And then by the time you declare your major, when you transfer, um, you'll have those courses that you want and you need at, at the four-year level and take care of it that way. But I just think it's a great option for kids. It's it's not just for dummies, as people say. It's it's kids with a high level of talent and high ceilings, and it's especially coming back now with the way the draft set up and kids wanting to go junior college and get drafted. And um, with the roster sizes at the four-year level, it's a great option for kids to come to junior college and get be- get better and go earn a scholarship. I'll tell you what. I I mean, I coached uh, not a ton of junior college players. Seemed like later on, Iowa, Western Illinois coached more junior college players. They were some of our best students, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I think it gets a, a rap for – I don't know where that rap came from, and I don't know if it's because of basketball and football maybe, but all of my junior college guys were really good students, were, were mature, could handle it. Um, you know, everybody's got ups and downs, but for the most part, I felt like they're pretty good students actually. Yeah, and the time management part is huge in junior college. It's because you do put so much towards your sport, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, tennis, whatever it is, um, that you do have to go take care of academics at the end of the day. And, and on the same side of that, we we are able to track that a lot easier. You know, on a more personal level, we can go find professors. We can get extra help. We can we can do all those things. Give them the right tools to when they transfer, they're ready to go at a four year level. Um, and it, it's a high expectation for them to do well in the classroom. Terry, what have been the attributes of your players that have gone on to the next level, whether it's pro or, or college, that have been successful? I think the number one thing we get is they'll say they, they understand how to work hard. Uh, Heath Uppencamp was uh, graduated in 98 and valedictorian. He goes to Purdue, and their coach is like, man, he's number one in every conditioning drill we have. And we're laughing because he was in the bottom third with us. But I, I'm most proud of the work ethic. Um, I lack in a lot of the technology. You know, kids will come back, you know, and they're talking about spin rate and exit, then this and that. And, uh, and I, I can help them with the, I, I take a lot of pride, and I feel like our kids are mentally prepared, physically prepared, uh, prepared. They understand what needs to be done. They have a balance. I've never tried to make baseball bigger than life. Um, uh, just never that's never been in me I love it but then there's other parts in life that are far more important and so we try to push that to those kids because we don't want them to go into college thinking their self-worth hinges on their baseball career so I think the balance of working hard and being a good respectful person and then the eagerness and willingness to pick up the new stuff you know we don't overcoach it at our level but we tell them they need to be ready. And I think we do a good job of preparing kids just for how to be a good teammate, how to be a coachable kid. So the rest of it, I never look at it as a kid has a great career in college or not as being a success or failure. Did that coach, that coach happy. I mentioned Heath Uppencamp. He pitched some for him. They said they'd take him every time over and over and over. And that's what I want a coach to say. And that's what I want our players to feel like because not all our kids go on and play and they could, but they have it pretty good here. I mean, you've seen our stadium. We got a, brick and concrete stadium seats, 2,300. We've got just about anything you could want. We've got a JV field that has 90 foot must-go lights and 500 seats. And uh, they have it pretty good here and we want them to go on and play, but I think we do a good job preparing them. It's also like a job. You guys know better than me. I just watched it, you know, from Nick's standpoint, I never realized like Nick was a two-way player division one. I thought, what a great compliment. 
what a great honor. I never looked at it. You guys would be laughing because you know that means you have to go to every workout, the pitcher workout, the hitting workout, the fielding workout. So it's double the work. But I think our kids are prepared just mentally and physically how to be a good teammate, how to work hard, and then hopefully they'll pick up whatever else they need to learn as far as the play in that program. Have you pivoted on any of your philosophies? Have they been pretty <laughs> – have they been the same since you started? I know you've got some simple um, stuff, but have you have you pivoted on anything? I, I yeah, I listen, I look, and I I leave a clinic, and I, I've changed a lot on technique, or you know, you go to the clinic and decide, okay, rotational hitting it is. I heard Epstein speak, and I and I try, I go to that clinic, and I'm like, I'm worthless. <laughs> you know, you hear all these guys in charts. We go in the tournament this year, and other teams are sending me sky reports. I don't even know what they are. I covered in our state championship game, I covered my clipboard because I didn't want to see what my notes actually say or do. So, yeah, I try to be open-minded. And if I got a young guy that, hey, we're going to do this, I'm all for trying it. And we changed a lot, like stretching and the mental part. I didn't realize. I used video back in the 80s and 90s. In fact, I spoke at the high school national clinic of all things on technology, and it was about videotape in baseball because of my football background. And I got our basketball coach to start using it because of that. So I, to say I haven't changed would be wrong because I wouldn't be around. But at the end of the day, probably not a whole lot on what our fundamentals are. But I certainly am open and trying to learn new things. But I'm like that. I mean, Ryan, let's be honest. Uh, this is my first year to not use a DOS system for our stats. All right. Everything's on that one laptop. And we went to uh, the Game Changer this year. And it's not as good. It doesn't give me the same numbers. It doesn't, you know, but uh, I will change, but uh, not a whole lot. I'll, I'll chime in on that. I have buddies from the tri-state that would play us in high school. And they're like, Jasper, Jasper, Jasper. Like, yeah, you win, but all you do is bunt and you bunt and then you bunt a run in and then you win like three to one. I'm like, yeah, it, well, yeah we, we won three to one. You, you didn't. So uh, I think that's a, that's a staple that's never going to change. <laughs> And that was Memorial Baseball also. Uh, Terry, any drills that you're still doing, like you started in the beginning that you still like, that you're still having guys do? Because we get a ton of questions on drills. Yeah, we like to – we bunt under pressure. We bunt – we you know, like anyone, but we'll put cones out and there's points and they have to get them down. Or we'll do a drill where, you know, there's 10 guys in the group. How many out of 10 got it down? They got to get this. We try to make practice. The biggest thing we've done, Ryan, is – Practice is just as intense or more intense, and I try to go that same rate. I'm not knocking the other styles, but I'm saying after a kid leaves here, he may go to college, and they're going to work on his footwork more on rounding the ball. I'm old school, catch the ball, throw it over there. I, you know, I'm a step, step, throw. I'm not a go sideways. I'll tell them, hey, save that for travel, but until June, whatever, just step to your target. I'm not knocking the other style, but it takes me a while. So one place I've changed – I used to have, you know, two ways to turn a double play. Now I'll let them, let's just watch them. I'm good with that. And it might be something I can't do, but I, you can't teach a German how to dance your way. You can't make certain kids. So I don't care. I'd be talking hitting and rolling. We go, coach, is it right if I, Scott, I'm not talking to you. Just ignore me. I'm talking to a kid hitting 120, trying to get him to 180 or 200. You do whatever you do. So I've never cloned guys, but I definitely will, if they're failing, then I'll say, okay, let's try this. But I'm not one of those that you're going to do it my way or get, get your butt home. But if you do it your own little flair and you screw up, uh, you're probably going to get yelled at more than the kid that had two hands up in the right position to release and throw, you know, little things like that. 
Nick, what about you? Are there some things that you've kept uh, from with your time with your dad? Uh, one, just the, the intensity of practice, um, the speed of practice, the, you don't have to be there for three hours to be productive. You can be dripping sweat after an hour and a half. And if you do it right, you do it right. You get out of there on a good day. Um, two, just, you know, the communication at practice of, Hey, these are the three things or whatever we're doing. This is what I expect. And you just roll. There's no, Hey, what's next? Or, you know, how long are we going to do this or this and that? And, um, I, and I, I kind of hinted, hinted at it, but I really like that when it's time to work on something, it's time and we'll extend the time a little bit. And if we know what we're doing and we're clean and the guys are have high energy or whatever, we get out. So that's something I definitely um, want to take with me continuing going forward. And then just, uh, just how we handled the baseball, I guess, in practice and how important each one was. And, you know, he would just remind us of what it takes to win games and three outs or less and three outs or less, three outs or less. Right. And it, that's, that's always in my brain, no matter which step or which coaching spot I've been is three outs or less. And um, you can't walk guys and let them score. So. Any, anything you've pivoted on tweaked a little bit? Well, there's a lot more, um, a lot more chatter in terms of how we hit the baseball and um, how our footwork is and base ceiling's a big thing. I'm definitely a little more new school. I got Matt Tallarico was at Dayton when I was there. So I got firsthand experience and that was like year three that he was trying it, I think. So, or starting that out. So I got a lot of that stuff. That's a little more and I'm, I'm starting to get into um, the rap sodos and um, driveline stuff. I've gotten trained on some of that. Um, so I'm starting to implement it. My big thing is it's, I'm like everybody else. It's all good. I just want to take what little information we need from that and pass it on to our guys, because if a guy wants it and he needs it and he, he loves talking it, we'll, we'll give him the information. If he's not, I'm all for it. Keep it simple. Keep hitting the baseball. Well, um, and a big thing we do on the offensive side is we'll, we'll just put exit speed on there and you know, you're hitting it hard and you're not for a lot of those guys. That's all they want to know. Right. And, um, but anyway, I would say we just go a little more detailed in terms of in terms of footwork and, and some hitting philosophy stuff, but it works at the high school level, so I wouldn't suggest getting into all that. When are you implementing the base running during practice? Uh, so I just got to Walter State this summer, um, and Coach Shelton's let me work with some some base runners. Now our big thing is we may not be the best base stealing team in the country, but we're going to be the best dirt ball read in the country. We're going to know where we're at on the field at all times. Um, so for me, it's just making sure I know where I'm at with my leads, getting my 12-foot lead, my 6-foot lead, whatever I need, be in the right position, takes all the fear out of the runner's mind, and, and the fear of getting picked off is just eliminated. So it just gives them confidence to play, and you're on time, you go. It's it, it's a complex system. It's not, but it's just really simplified, and you know, it just makes them feel comfortable. That's kind of the direction that we're headed. All right, everybody has to answer this. So, Terry, you go first. Do you have a fail-forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now was one of the best things that happened to you? What was the first part of cut out? I'm sorry. Do I have a do you have a Do you have a fail-forward moment? Do you have something uh, that you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now was one of the better things that happened to you? You know, we joked about it earlier, but uh, 1992, we were loaded. You guys were one, and we were one and two, and we got beat. It was a heartbreaking loss, and I was still pretty young coach and um i looked out on the field uh, you know my catcher was on a knee some guys were down and they got their heads up they didn't lay around flop around they shook hands with the memorial tigers and i knew in my heart i'm on the right path because anybody can win 
it's not, not everybody can win with class, but when you can lose, when it's gut wrenching, then I knew, Hey, these guys, I mean, and there's a picture of that group up from my wedding. I got married in 92 and it took me about eight months before I actually just cried. <laughs> I was, and I learned so much and it reassured me because even if we had never won a state championship, I would feel like a complete coach because when you at your hardest moment like that and they get it, you know, you're doing something besides just teaching how to hit a baseball. Nick, what about you? Uh, for me, it's probably, we went to the world series uh, senior year at Southern Indiana and uh, got beaten two games. And, you know, it was obviously a really low point into my career and who wasn't going to play professionally, that sort of thing. But just the connection you have with those guys for two years um, and just how heartbreaking it was and, you know, feeling like you let them down instead of just yourself. And, um, but then off of that, they're the same six to 10 guys that we stay in communication with all the time. And, you know, the whole brotherhood thing is a, is a real deal. And it's a big positive that we went through that stuff together because it's, it's what keeps us close as the years go by. Any evening or morning routines, Terry, you're in good shape still for 60. I mean, you're, you're still, <laughs> and you've got a ton of energy. What, what are done some, well as of late. <laughs> what are, do you have any routines that you have either morning or evening that you feel like help you? No. Oh, yeah. I, I, the best thing I did four years ago, I got a hot tub. I'd wanted one my whole life. And, uh, I start every morning in there and I end every evening and I don't talk about it a lot, but I've read about every mental book you can, not only on baseball, but, uh, it would turn my life around my wife. We were dating at the time. She gave me Norman Vincent Peale, the power of positive thinking. And it just hit me. You know, I read it now and I don't even get that same connection. You know how life you're in that moment. And I've tried to read, I couldn't quote great authors, but there's a couple of books I go back to and I read and just try to get myself in that place. And then the smartest thing I ever did is involve my family. I want to make sure I mention that Nick was born. Then we had, uh, uh, Sarah and then Sarah got uh, sick with leukemia. She passed away at the age of two and a half. And Nick's always had a connection. He was her big brother. Then we had Maria, Laura, Julia, and Carolyn. When the day she took over the concession stand, baseball became something that pulled us together instead of being gone. Now she may hate every moment of it, but she's done it for over 25 years or more. And it's a thing that brings us together. And I mentioned Sarah because. Uh, you go through a, a, a child like that and they can yell at me all you want when their child didn't play or start. And I don't say anything, but inside I know I'm doing the right thing. There's bigger things in life. And one of my best moments was a kid from an earlier championship talked to our team and he said, coach told us when we won the state, this is the greatest compliment, accomplishment we ever have in our lives. And we've had a very shallow life. And so I'm not trying to make this so big, but, I love trying to win, but I don't put it. It's not going to be on my tombstone. It's the relationships and it's just knowing that kids are learning the game. And that's what I love about baseball. You fail seven out of 10 times. You'd be one of the best ever to play. So you just can't get anywhere else. Nick, what about you? Any routines that you're in right now? I know it's hard as a young coach because you're doing everything, but do you have any that you like? Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get up earlier. Uh, tried to get up about six in the morning and, um, married into a dog, great dog. So I'm the dog walking guy in the morning or go for a jog and come back get coffee. And I'm a, I'm a big podcast guy. So whether the ABCA or any other baseball podcast or a lot of mental performance stuff that's out there, um, I like to listen to while doing that. And then at night I'm starting to read more into, um, kind of the, 
um, technology stuff, even if it's just 20 minutes of, a, of an article that I see and um, try to learn that way and um, go about that. But need to get in the weight room more. You need to get in weight. Well, it's, hard. In shape, it's hard. It's hard in the beginning, man. Then, it's you know. tough as a young coach because you, you got so much going on. It, it took me yeah. forever to get back in the in the weight room. Um, it, it has been huge just having a wife that makes good food, though. That's been that's been a difference maker. What other podcasts are you listening to? Uh, I'm listening to the Dugout Chatter podcast with Sheets, and um, I, I, I listen to some. It's not really baseball related, but a lot of Joe Rogan's um, guests that he has on there that offer really good. It's one of my favorites just because it offers may not be baseball, obviously, but a lot of mental stuff or things you don't think about. And um, listen to some Marines on there, whoever it is that just you know small takeaways every day that kind of keep you motivated and keep you going. Yeah, Tim Ferriss is that that for me, that extra podcast and the Huberman yeah. Lab. Those have been two. The, the Ferris one I've listened to forever. Um he yeah. got me he got me pointing in the right direction when I was starting to struggle a little bit at Western Illinois. His it always just seemed like the message that I needed or training right. or some other things, some lifestyle tweaks here and there. He just he came along at the right time for me. And I do read a lot, but his his books, The Four Hour Work Week, The Four Hour Body. He's just got so many like lifestyle hack books, tribe of mentors that are, are really good. Um, I always pick something up from, from his podcast, always, always. For sure. Hey, do you guys want to I This is the first question for me. I just It popped in my head this morning, but do you guys have a question for each other that you want to ask? Ooh. Nick, what's your favorite baseball memory at Jasper High School with you and I? Of you and me? I, got two. <laughs> I have two. One, I was a freshman at Evansville Central, tried to field a ball on the run, booted it, come in the dugout, get a nice nice earful. And then he proceeded to tell me that the only reason I was playing was because he happened to, the head coach happened to be sleeping with my mom. So whatever that means to anybody. But uh, the second one, I would say, I don't remember what year it was. He might be able to remember what game, but I'm pitching, I throw a strike. It was a strike. Called the ball. Held the glove there for half a second as I caught and received the ball. I turn around. I hear, time, sir. And then I see the catcher start to run out, and he just gives a finger and goes, nope. And uh, it's just me and Coach Gover on the mound, and I have no idea to this day what he said, but I do remember wiping my face off with a handful of spit. So he got me good on that one, but obviously a, a good lesson learned there. But those are probably top two for me. Now you you called him Coach Gobert, and that was the same thing with my brother and I. It was always Coach Brownlee. Like our friends would make fun of us because we'd be at a family function or Christmas or Thanksgiving, <laughs> and it would be Coach Brownlee, and we would have they would. I'm like, no, he's it's Coach Brownlee. Well, I got sarcasm from my from my father, Coach Gobert. So a lot of it was you know me just you know giving it to him a little bit of practice and making it kind of awkward and saying coach Gobert hey coach Gobert can we do this but no I really did I, I practiced it was it was coach I tried not to do the dad thing and I respect what he did to me and he actually did the color on um, basketball and football for high school games and he'd say you know Gobert a nice play right there or whatever never never made it too personal so I, re I really did respect that though in all seriousness do you have a question for your dad well what's what what's yours what's your your uh your story uh, one over at Southridge in League Stadium, and you were on a pitch count. <laughs> had some injuries. It's a big rivalry game, and he's done. He's passed his count. And he's I'm looking out there, Ryan, and he's shaking his head no because he's all I'm thinking. So then I sent. Was it Coach Kendall? Then coach I think Kendall, I yeah. sent the pitching coach out 
to get him and he's staring me down the whole time and I'm kind of just walking away in the dugout and then he came in to get his fielding glove and I believe my player said if you're not man enough to come get me yourself then don't take me out of the game <laughs> and I didn't smile at the moment but I was smiling inside definitely and uh, for me it would be just it's, it's just watching Nick perform and have fun and you know we got beat two to one he won the middle attitude award and I got to get him over this a red sometimes, you know, it's hard earned every time, but for him and I to get the finish at victory field, we got beat by a guy who made it to the major leagues. Um, what, three years later, two to one to Norwell fan meter was on the mound. Nick pitched for us, beautiful game and to stand there after the dugout and just watch how he handled it. Made me very, very proud. So it's never been about winning and losing, but I love the fact that he's coaching, but I think I made it very clear to him. Don't ever feel like you need to go be coaching. Is that correct, Nick? Don't feel like you need – try to talk him out of a couple times. My but, parents did too. Yeah. They did. Yeah. Yep. Probably your mom more than anyone. Bo- she both. They the- sat me down yeah. right in the beginning, and they were like, this is going to be a lot harder than you think it is. I know you know your dad's a coach, but there's going to be a long, long road. And, you know, if you love it, do it. But but if not, like, go do something else. They're like, you're too smart to be coaching. I'm like, no, I, this is something that I really love doing. Well, what, what you guys do in the college game, and I'm not going to go into blasting anything, but I read these. Uh, the hours involved, what you have to do, no stipend, no lessons, no meals, no insurance, and they get to pick and choose. It says a lot, you know, and the fact that uh, uh, Nick loves the college game, that's great. I, I just know, you know, I'm 60 years old. I'm still teaching six U.S. history classes a day, been the department head probably 25 years. It's definitely changing, but it's pretty cool to live a life and know that good or bad, you've had so many interactions with people and nobody will understand it unless they're a coach or a coach's wife or the kids. And the college game, man, it's amazing the hours these guys put in for <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I mean, literally. Oh, yeah. T- Terry, what advice do you have for a parent that's listening in that has to coach their their child? What advice do you have for them? Yeah, maybe uh, make sure it's easy to say you opened up the dialogue of communication, but um it's difficult to come home and then you got to deal. And my wife was wonderful about it, but then no escape for the kid. I just maybe find a dialogue or maybe a little bit away other than baseball. And I think Nick and I survived because we have a good connection. We love sports. I love football. I love basketball, but it would be just every once in a while quit being the coach and be the dad, you know, just, I, I wish I'd done a better job of that, but I, I told him every day he's been here that I love him. So I have no regrets, but that would be the best advice is just get away from the baseball the best you can and let him know his self-worth doesn't depend on how well he does. And if he's not good enough to be in the lineup, don't put him in the lineup. Everybody would know it. If you're playing him because he's your son and he doesn't deserve to be out there, that'd be even harder for him. Nick, what about you? What advice would you have for a, a player that's listening in right now that has to play for a parent? One, just make sure you're doing the right things that doesn't put him and or her in an awkward position to um, make a decision that they don't really want to make, right? So make a difficult decision if you don't work hard and you don't take care of grades and you're a troublemaker or whatever. So just make sure you're doing the things right. But then um, kind of what I alluded to earlier is just enjoy the the smaller moments. And when you get home, you got to go your separate ways for a little bit, go your separate ways, but just learn how to, you know, have a flush or, you know, one thing that we did, we went to a lot of different sporting events together or Indiana tailgates or whatever, find something else that's um, that you can still hang out with and not have to dive into what's going on. But then you find that the baseball conversation makes its way back in. And it's a lot easier to talk to one another after you've both kind of 
um, you know, gone a different route to get there. What are some final thoughts, Terry? You want to give a final shout out to Jasper baseball in some way or just some final thoughts? Yeah, uh, Ryan, just very fortunate the way it worked out. I, I was going to be a basketball coach. I got hired as a football coach and baseball opened up. Just be open and go with it. Um, and then do it your way, but be open. Um, I actually couldn't physically, I was in a car wreck, my shoulder. In fact, I just had surgery like a month ago and I couldn't hit all year. And what, you know what it made me do? It made me open up and give my assistants more. It's so easy as a head coach to take over. And if you got guys that want to do it, my guys did a great job and they always have, but the biggest moments for me as a coach, because at one time I did have to do everything. I had to go find assistant every year. And if you got good coaches, let them coach and they'll give you even more. And also um, just take it in for what it's worth. Just remember their kids and everything you do can impact them. You know, every one of us, I think, wouldn't you love to go back and talk to each kid you coach and apologize for this or that. And you find out they're okay. They, they you were probably right at the time, but my advice is just keep it in perspective. Now, I'm insane. I got the worst yard in town. You know, I'm one arm and I'm trying to rake the field or do whatever. Keep it in perspective. But then when you leave that field, leave it behind. And if you can get your family involved in it, it can bring a family together instead of pull them apart. Nick, what about you? Final thoughts? Well, first, I just want to say thanks for having us on. This was really cool to, to get involved with and have a chance to talk with dad because he he doesn't like to talk about how great Jasper baseball is a lot. So it's, it's good to hear him open it up, but I just want to give a shout out to him and all his and his staff for the continuous su success. And like I said, the, the expectation that's there every year, which is really cool. And knowing just because I have buddies in my class or kids that guys that I played with or guys above me that continue to come back and, and still call him coach and still talk about their experience there. And which was ultimately what led me, and to get into coaching, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever that, you know, guys at 30 and 40 are coming back and saying thanks um, and just talking about all the success they had. But Welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast are Terry and Nick Gobert. Terry is a legend in Indiana high school baseball. In his time at Jasper High School, he's won six Indiana state championships, including the final two single class titles. 
He's one of five coaches in the state to reach the 800-win plateau. Jasper High School is a tradition-rich program that includes Scott Rowland and Matt Mock as alums. Nick is entering his first season as an assistant at Walter State. He started on varsity for four years for Terry. After high school, he attended Dayton University and the University of Southern Indiana. He started his coaching career at USI and was with Indian Hills last season. Coach Gobert has the blueprint for running a successful organization. In this episode, we cover how they handle the player-coach relationship, developing winning traditions, how experience still has value, keeping things simple, knowing when to pivot your philosophy, practice planning, and how to incorporate family into your program. Let's welcome Terry and Nick Gobert to the podcast. Here with Terry Gobert, Jasper High School, six-time Indiana State champion, uh, fifth coach in Indiana history to reach the 800-win plateau. And then Nick, his son, played for him in high school, now at Walter State, but was at USI and also Indian Hills. Shout out to Indian Hills, Iowa, um, my old stomping grounds, then played at Dayton and USI. So thank you guys for coming on with me. Appreciate you having us. Yeah, it's great to be on. Thanks, Ron. Terry, you've been one of my favorites for a long time, but were there challenges for you when Nick was in high school with coaching him? <laughs> um, yeah, you know what, looking back, I, I have four daughters and Nick. Nick was the firstborn, and I'd love to do it differently. You would with almost every player, but I really didn't realize how much pressure he was putting on himself. I should have been a little more, a little smarter. The, the, the luckiest thing about coaching Nick is the hardest working kid never coach. So that was never an issue. It was never an issue about his effort, attitude, or anything else. I just wish I had been a better dad and reflecting, kind of taking some of that pressure off of him. Does that make it easier, though, that he's one of your hardest working kids? Oh, you know what? I talked to a lot of coaches. I did my homework before coaching him. And there's a lot of great coaches in Indiana who have coached their son. And the first question they always ask, is he any good? <laughs> and looking back, I even understand that more. And yes, he was. He was good. And in fact, freshman year I didn't have him in the lineup and my other assistants sat me down after a couple of weeks and said we know what you're doing but any other kid would be up here right now and and he ended up starting his first game then that next night and from that from that aspect Ryan never an issue he's all the way through his collegiate career um I, I really mean this he got more out of his ability than any kid I've ever coached because I didn't give him a whole lot to work with Nick was that the pressure on you because you're playing as a freshman I mean, I wasn't good as a freshman in high school, so I didn't have to worry about playing at that point at varsity. But was there pressure on you because you're a freshman? I wouldn't say it was so much as a freshman. It was just that um, I've been around Jasper baseball long enough that the expectation is to win the state title um, every year. And I was supposed to win four state titles. So just kind of going into it and maybe not enjoying the little things as much as I should have and just kind of looking, you know, into the season goal all the time and, you know, we might beat a team 10 to one early in the season. And I already know that he already knows that that's not good enough to beat so-and-so in the sectional regional and semi-state. So kind of seeing it that way and just the expectation part, um, I let get to me, I would say too much in high school and then try to enjoy it more my senior year and had a little more success um, because of that, I think. Is that when it slowed down finally for you as senior year? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Just one real, it was real that I wanted to play college baseball and I, um, I, kind of self-reflected and saw the amount of pressure I was putting on myself um, and just decided to enjoy it and see where it takes me. And we win, we win. And of course we got red, two red ribbons, but that's all right. Um, but no, that's, that's definitely what changed. What are your first memories of, of being at Jasper's field? So we set off 
off air, I was, I think it was one week or two weeks old. I was at a game. Don't remember that, but just fresh out of the hospital, joined, went to a playoff Jasper baseball game. But um, first I remember is at the old stadium in the dugouts and pretty important game. And I think I'm shirtless asking dad if I can take BP before like the regional or something. And he says no. And I get ticked off and um, go pout at the end of the dugout. That's probably my first memory. It's a pretty good picture of that too, that it used to be my Twitter profile picture actually, but um, that's probably the first one, but the memories are just usually just from the dugout. He, I'm, I thank him a lot for that. Just allowing me to be around it and see it and talk to the guys and, you know, the amount of players that I can remember because of that and all of the championships and those things. Um, it was just incredible to be around and see it from that angle. Terry, when did you feel comfortable with letting him get on the field with your players? Well, you know what? Nick was five days old when he went to the regionals when he came home. He was born between the two. But uh, you know what? By uh, three, four, and it was, he always had a buddy, somebody that would protect him in the outfield. You know, we didn't let him go into the infield, but had a hard time keeping him off the field. And he had his own pinstripe uniform. And we have a really neat picture. I don't even know how old he is. I tell people he was 16, but he was probably five and he was pouting after the game because I didn't get him in. And, uh, you know, just a lot of good memories like that. But he's always just been at home. He was the one kid that could be in the dugout and knew when to be quiet. Uh, I've had assistant coaches over the years want their kid to come in. And I think one of my infamous meltdowns were there were three or four coaches' sons in there and they were throwing a tennis ball up the wall. And I made reference, it's not a Chuck E. Cheese and they need to leave. And I never had to do that with Nick. He just he just knew when to get away from me, I think. Had you coached Nick at all before high school? You know what? Um, I think I helped with the All-Stars maybe one year, Nick. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, but yeah. Uh, for the most part, I, I just stayed away. Um, you know, there was – I wish I'd been a little more involved. You know, he played some small-level travel. Just we really limited it. But even then, things can get away from me, you know, how much they're pitching, how much they're playing. But – uh I, I will say this. I don't think we ever brought the game home. I never did as a parent. I know with my daughters, I never tried to come home upset or carry it over. But um, I've never really coached him until high school, and I kind of did that on purpose. Nick, how did you guys handle that relationship then? I think that would be the hardest as high school age because you have to go home. You know, I played for my dad and brother. I didn't have to go home. If I had a bad game, I was going to go to the apartment or the dorm, so I didn't have to see my dad. So, you know, how did you guys handle kind of taking it home with you guys? <laughs> Go ahead, Nick. Uh, I mean, early on, struggle in terms of get called up as a freshman. Again, I had a lot of expectations on myself. Um, and, and I would personally bring it home where he might not. But And I would kind of, in the back of my mind, I'm wondering, you know, is this my dad or is this my head coach when I get home? But he did a great job with that from the get-go of, um, you know, just being dad when we're at home and, um, as the years went on, I kind of knew when to go down to the basement or when to get up in my room just so we don't even have to go there. Um, but he handled it well every year. I would say the hardest year was was junior year. I had um, first period was uh, weight class that he helped teach. And then second period was study hall prep, which I worked in his office. Third period, I had him for U.S. history. And then uh, obviously after after school, I had him at practice. So um, that was a challenging year between the two of us, but we got through it and we're still here today. Did you guys do much on the side? Cause Terry, I get this question a lot from parents as far as development with younger kids. Did you guys do much on the side when Nick was growing up? Uh, we, I would hit if he asked to hit, you know, he would want it when it was real. I'm sure you were the same way. I'd come home from practice or a game and 
he's three or four and wants to go out and throw. And I used to make reference. Um, anybody, anybody else, they'd say, what a great father-son moment. But when you're the head baseball coach, people say, I saw you had Nick out making him hit or making him get his swings in. And I never did that. And then in high school, especially that junior year, it just didn't work. I think Nick will back that up. We'd go down try to hit maybe on a Sunday and be back in about three minutes. You know, we just, one of us would blow up, the other would blow up. And looking back, I should have handled that better. But when he was young, I never once, I, none of my kids, I've never made them, you know, we're going to go out and dribble in the basketball. We're going to work on this. But if he asked for help, uh, he struggled one year. As you know, Ryan, back then, your junior year was your big year as far as colleges. You didn't sign kids out of uh, elementary school or commit. And, you know, you put a lot of pressure on that junior year. And I, I probably, looking back, we should have sat down and talked about it more and kind of opened up. But uh, when he was young, it was always he just wanted to go out and play the game. What are some of your guys' best memories those four years together? For me, uh, you know, I got a wall of pictures sitting behind me of all of our kids, and a lot of it just involves baseball. And just the times where before he was playing in the dugout, just hanging out with him and watching him interact with the kids. Because to, you know, a young boy, they're major league ball players in a program, any program, but we, we put a lot of pride in our program. And then the toughest one was the last game, just knowing that we were playing for a state championship all the other games, there was always that possibility of winning and moving on. And we got up. I don't even think I've ever told Nick this, but we got up to Victory Field. And I think he'd been in that dugout with us probably at least six times, five times, six in championship games, a couple other times in semifinals. And I just looked at the dugout and I saw him as like a four-year-old and I just lost it. This is an hour and a half before the game. And I really felt I lost my edge that game. I got soft for the first time in my life because – that's the finality. You know, when you, you know, you go out there, this is the last time this is going to happen at this level. But most of my memories are just watching him play the game, not anything that we, him and I maybe shared a moment. We were there, we were connected, but I just like watching him have fun. It's such a wonderful game. Nick, what about you? Yeah, for me, the, the, um, we kind of hinted at it earlier, but my biggest memories are being in the dugout before I even played and just, just seeing how it operated, why Jasper baseball was so good why dad's so good at his job, the expectations, the, the goals, and and the interaction between the players for me was huge. That was just, you know, I felt like the bat boy and not just coach's son and that sort of deal. And, um, but in terms of high school, I would say early on, just first time traveling with first time playing at Rooksur as a, as a varsity player and, and then going into the senior season and just starting to enjoy practice a little more. Um, small, small talk in between BP rounds or practice drills or whatever, and just kind of seeing how how far we come from freshman to senior year. And then, uh, like we said, that was the same time I started enjoying all of it more. So I started just kind of realizing the moments that we're having and just trying to savor them as much as possible. And obviously the run and the tournament was pretty special because um, our senior year, you, you didn't know, it could be your last one. And each time that we got to put on the pinstripes again was just a Another great opportunity, another opportunity for the two of us to still be on the same team, which was pretty cool. Terry, what has going away from the single class system done for baseball in the state of Indiana? Well, you know what? Uh, it's pretty cool. We won the last two single, 96 and 97. And that's one thing I'm really proud of. We were the only program ever to win back-to-back -back in Indiana. And then we won it again in 98. And I'm not dropping titles on you. I'm just saying – when that game ended in 98, it didn't feel a whole lot different as we explained to the kids. This is all you had. This is the best you could do because some of them were kind of like – Coach Schreiber would always tell me those are regional championships, uh, legendary LaPorte coach, and I love that man for that. But uh, 
I, it just changed from the rivalry standpoint. Point. We would meet you guys, Memorial, in the Summa State. You know, now we're playing Evansville teams in the sectional. Vincennes was in our sectional. That was a Summa State team. So it took away for it took away that because we're the largest school in our area. It took it totally changed our tournament. Took away all our county rivalries, and so it's an adjustment. Then with class teams move up and down, and it creates different rivalries. So, you know, I, I've never been a big fan of it, but I, I'm smart enough to move on in life. But uh, it was pretty cool. I'm not going to deny it. We, we got our we won at Bush Stadium um, in 96. And the kids all put one up on their for a team picture, put their fingers up. I yelled at them for being cocky. And then it hit me. There's 400 and whatever, nine teams. And we're the last team standing. So I, I think it is really special from that standpoint but it doesn't take away from any other trip because that's all the kids can go after. Is Bush Stadium or Victory Field better? <laughs> uh, Victory Field's just amazing. Uh, Bush Stadium this year, it was 25 years ago, I think to the day. But anyway, 25 years ago when we were going to hit, this year when we are going to hit, we drove by Bush Stadium and we were telling these kids, 25 years ago, that's where you know we want it all and it's apartment complex now or whatever. But uh, Victory Field in itself, and I, I'm sure Nick will back me up, it's just a lot of states do that, and we're very lucky in Indiana to play all our championships in great facilities, but it's just phenomenal. It's just just a neat place to play baseball. Yeah, it's apartment complexes now, Bush Stadium. Yeah. It's, yes. You know, I, I haven't been in Indy in a while, but every time I would drive by there, it would just would floor me that it's apartment complexes now. Oh, it was a junkyard pile for a long time with the cars and the rebates or whatever, and then you could – it just broke my heart. Yeah, absolutely broke my heart. But, uh, man, it was really special to win there. Just thinking about, you know, Jasper playing the very first one up there in 67 and 68. And to go up there and win in the last year, it meant a lot for a lot of those reasons. And there's so much history. And if you're going to build a new stadium, make it a transition, Indianapolis got it right. But there's nothing like in an old stadium. It's like Bossy Field. It's They just don't make them like that anymore. You talked about kind of losing those rivalries. Who who are is Memorial still one of your biggest rivals? I mean, it seems like you guys do tangle up a little bit still. I absolutely, uh, Coach Merkel. You know, I, I was named a head coach. I was twenty six years old, and I don't know if anybody did a better job at getting in my head than he did. He would call me boy. He would call me this. He, he never called me by my name. Never called me coach. He complained about this that. And it took me a few years to finally get over that. I mean that in the most respectful way. I love that man and respect everything he's ever done. But I've always had it in my heart, you know, because that was the team to beat coming up. And um, so they still stand out, but in a very respectful way. I've never had any problem between Jasper Memorial. I've loved playing them. Uh, we had a heck of a game this year, extra innings, two to one. And they're going to be a tough team to beat next year. But they stand out just because that was one of the few Evansville teams we played, or at least in the tournament, on it seemed like a regular basis. And we're picking up rivals. You know, we played Central when Coach Grease and Coach Gady now. We played them for a long time. But Memorial, there's no lie. I, some of the kids maybe don't feel it as much, but uh, my staff and I do. I mean, I just have so much respect for them. And that's how it was to play for Coach also. Like, it wasn't any different. Like, he wanted to see you stand up for yourself. Like he, he would prod and, and challenge you and challenge you and challenge you to get you to try to stand up for yourself. And once you did that, then yeah. he then he would back off you. 
but he needed yeah. to get you to that point where you're going to stick up for yourself because if not, then you wouldn't get on the field with him if you didn't start sticking up for yourself. And he needed to see that out of you, which he, he knew how to push your buttons in that way. And that's why I didn't get on the field much as a junior because I just didn't handle him well. And then my senior year, I handled him fine. But he wanted to, to see if you could stick up for yourself because I think you realize a game of baseball is tough. So he's going to run you through the ringer a little bit to see if you can handle those challenges. But uh, it wasn't any different playing for him. Yeah. Well, I feel like as a coach, it was the same. And once I did, I felt like we were on a pretty even basis. Like he's all right. Okay. You've grown up finally, but uh, I still enjoy talking to him if I run into him. And Nick, you talked about being in the dugout. How much is that helping you now as a coach? Because you've been, you know, you have a long history, just like I had a long history of just watching games. How much is that helping you now as a coach? Oh, it's huge. I, I mean, I refer back to it and just, you know, I like I kind of hinted at earlier, I could kind of figure out when dad was going to be in a good mood and when he was going to be in bad mood and why. And then as a player, I knew that. So then I could kind of prep my teammates for a hey, he's not going to be happy that we didn't execute bump play in the third inning, but we still won by 12 runs and et cetera, et cetera. So um, I have that angle. I had it a lot as a as a college player as well, probably too much because overthinking guy. It's just kind of part of my nature. But um, it it made me who I am as a, as a baseball player and as a coach, for sure. Just seeing one, how people interact in the dugout, how he interacts and two, just the, the, I got to be in some coaches meetings that definitely no one else got to be in, in terms of, Hey, this is what we're after. This is why we want to challenge this guy. This is why we want to, um, this is why we want to work on this or that or the other. And then the other thing, just, just setting the expectation. I've said it a lot, but seeing that in the dugout with the experiences and everything and just challenging kids to, to be at their best because they're going to be needed at their best come crunch time in the postseasons. Um, that's the number one thing I took away from it is we prep every game like we're going to win a postseason baseball game and win a state title. And that's the expectation and um, year in and year out. And that's why they continue to have success and why dad continues to have success um, year, year after year after year. Terry, how do you instill that? I mean, I, I view Jasper as a, a tradition rich program that expects to win. And, and so how do you instill that in your program? Well, you know, I, I followed Ray Howard, Hall of Famer coach, and uh, he did a lot of the groundwork for me. It's a lot easier to follow a strict guy who you don't go on spring break. You don't ask, you know, every, everything was laid out for there. And the biggest thing I've tried to do in my career, and I did it when I had zero tournament wins, and we started out five and eight. If you didn't do the job, I'm talking about mentally, you came out of the lineup. And learning the difference between a mental mistake and a physical mistake is part of that process but I've kept our program embarrassingly embarrassingly simple from the standpoint we we believe in give them three outs or less use all three of ours put the ball in play and then the other one is if you know we went to this uh late 80s early 90s if you walk a guy and he scores a run the whole team runs a mile and that was one of the greatest things I ever did as a coach. And that first year, we were up to 23 miles in the bank. And then so we came up with a shutout, maybe take some hollow. I didn't know what to do because that's all we were doing is running. But I have not met a baseball player yet that loves to run a mile. And I don't believe you can be a coach and that's all you do. I don't just yell at kids. I don't just push them. But it's very difficult because there's times you want to just back off and enjoy a game. But I always felt if you were the, you know, we can carry 20 guys. If you were the 19th and 20th and you missed a cutout, cutoff, and I don't care if it's 13 to 1, you're going to hear it just like anyone else or you're going to be disciplined. And I really believe players respect that because I, I was on all aspects. I mean, I never played in basketball. And when they don't talk to you, they don't yell at you, it's time to get worried. You know, it means they've lost carrying for you. So 
I, I just think keeping it that simple, keeping our rules really simple. I mean, Nick goes to college and you have hitting zones and hot zones in every count. And he's like, dad, you didn't teach me any of that. I go, nope. I try to keep it. You know, I just believe as a high school coach, our job is to throw strikes, make routine plays and try to put the ball in play. I really believe trying to win every game, but I have one goal. Number one goal always has been when a player's done playing at Jasper, I want him to be glad he played and said he had fun. They didn't have to like me, but I, I certainly hope there's respect on both ends. Nick, what were some of the things that you picked up right away? You go from your dad in high school and then you go to college. So what are some of the things that maybe stuck out as far as the differences in the level? Well, one is just from each kid and where they came from, just understanding, you know, how lucky we were in terms of how we cared about the little things and how to bunt and how to move a runner and how to play, you know, how to just know what the play is before it even happens. Just a lot of little stuff that I just thought was normal. Um, and then you have fellow teammates that don't understand it or never been taught it or so that, that was just a big difference between the two right away was where do they come from and how much experience do they have and based off the coach or whoever the program. Um, but I, I just kind of want to backtrack though and, and say for Jasper's sake and my dad's sake, the reason, the other reason they have success every year is that people are always talking about how kids are changing and, you, you know, kids are changing this and they're not as the way they used to or whatever. Well, there's still an expectation and with the simplicity that it is, it's the same every year. Um, and he doesn't care if, if, if it's uncool or if the kid doesn't necessarily think it's the coolest way to do things or whatever, it still gets done um, and it gets passed every year. They might fight it at the beginning of the year and then it, it clicks and then they, they're off and running, right? So it, it's they're not afraid to challenge kids um, and, and try to get the best out of them. So I just wanted to make sure that was that was hit and I think that's a huge reason for their success. But Well, look at Tony LaRusso right now. Everybody in the world said that was a, an awful hire, an awful hire. Right. And then you look and see where the White Sox are at right now. And Terry, talk about that. I mean, you, you have a wealth of experience in the game. I don't think people value experience as much as they used to. I think there's some value to having somebody in the dugout that's that's been through the wars a little bit. Yeah, I think you need both. Uh, you know, I, I'm 60 years old and Nick helped me out couple years ago I was at that point like you know kids today I just don't know if I want to do this and looking back I kind of backed off I kind of thought, all right I'm an old man they're not listening and I didn't enjoy it it's nothing against those kids and then I just made an effort this year I said because we have a hitting they have a locker room downstairs and a four tunnel hitting area then we have a coaches lounge office upstairs and there were days I didn't go down there and put it into something that in the past I would have and it just hit me. And then we're not really necessarily going there, but COVID and missing a season was like a practice retirement for me. And it made me realize I'm not ready to retire. I mean, my wife was right on that too. <laughs> Thought that would be a good idea. But you know what I'm saying? A lot of people I talked to and I said, what did you think? And they said, I found out I get to play a lot of golf. And, and you know, they were saying, you know, baseball takes up beautiful weather. And I was miserable and it's not just the game, it's just the kids. And so it gave me an opportunity to recharge. I did a better job of getting to know these kids. So, you know, we had 12 seniors, but I think eight of them were one and done. They never even dressed varsity. So, you know, out of my 20-man roster, I only had three guys back that really played. So I had all these juniors and seniors, like about 15 of them or something, and uh, eight of them were players and the others were managed, but nine of them. My point is, hardly anybody had any experience. And everybody just like, let's get the most out of this we can. And it was one, and not because we want to stay, but it was one of my most enjoyable seasons ever because I got back in the trenches and just said, all right, 
I didn't change things. We still had a haircut rule, but I got him get multiple colored hats or whatever. You know, I'm saying I tried all this stuff. Nick will laugh, but he knows this. I bought a hat a few years ago, throwback duck bill. I called him gold bill, black hat. And we're not going to get it out till a team earns it. Well, they sat in there for five years and two of those teams made it to the state championship game. And I never felt they were worthy of a hat because my expectations were so high. So this year, I really just tried to enjoy it more. You know, life's short anyway, but it was a, I hated it for my seniors, uh, still do. And we tried to include them every way we could from the season we didn't have, but it helped me realize, hey, I still want to do this. I got, I got to get the energy to do this. And I had a lot of fun. But I give Nick a lot of that credit for kind of getting on me to get back in it. All right, I'm going to throw some names at you here, some throwbacks. So uh, we talked about Scott Rowland off the air, but for people that don't know, Scott Rowland played for Terry at Jasper, was Mr. Indiana in the state for basketball, had signed at Georgia to do both, uh, actually hosted him on a visit at Evansville. I knew we weren't going to get him to come to Evansville, but he at least came <laughs> on a visit there. Uh, but just talk about Scott oh. a little bit. Oh, you know what? I was, uh, let's see, just in my 30s, so I really didn't – quite realized what we had on our hands and Scott's a goofball. And I mean it in a great way. He's not your typical, I mean, he's a very intelligent kid. He loved all things, but um, watching him do this and he graduated in 1993 and he played in that great game in 92. We're talking off the air against you guys, but what he did was just phenomenal. But everybody thinks all my great memories are this hit or that hit. It, it's things like, um, Scott had a hit. We were playing the Gibson Southern. The game meant nothing conference-wise or anything else. He hit a ball between the short and third base, and all of a sudden he's standing on second base. He did, you know, left fielder took his time. It's a double. But I talked to some scouts. They said, well, he just made another 50000 tonight. You know what I mean? But he did that every night. He played hard. He was a goofball in between. But just watching him, in, in 92 we were loaded. 93 we weren't. And he still hit like 500. And he was so patient. And I just look back, you know, and you'd have 18 guys following you like little ducklings when he went out to the cage. And I, I'm not even sure how he handled it all. So it was fun to watch him and see Matt Mock in 97 wins Mr. Baseball. So I was lucky to have two of those guys and same type of athlete and to see them handle that. So Scott helped me a lot in preparing with other kids. But if I had him now, and if I had him now with all his talent and his parents were awesome, they just let me coach him. I can't imagine what a kid of that ability now, what his agent tells him, what, you know, you get these calls, no more than 50 pitches this week or whatever with some parents. I don't get them, but I hear these stories, but just coaching him. And it was more just to see the way he deflected all the fame and just gave it to everyone else. He just loved playing. So in Indiana to have a guy that's that good at hoops, that's six foot five and loves baseball, pretty rare. And, and one of the first Indiana Bulls kids. Too. I yeah. mean, everybody talks about travel baseball, and travel baseball is new. Travel baseball is not new. I mean, that I didn't know who the Indiana Bulls were, but Kyle Ritter, uh, my freshman roommate, pitched for the Bulls also. So that's the first taste of it. But yeah, travel baseball has been around for a long time, if you think about it. Well, they had, uh, you know, our field's named after Alvin C. Ruxer, and they had a Ruxer that uh, maybe a great nephew or nephew. But anyway, the Bulls were going through town. They're going to play because the Ruxer connection. And I can remember like it's yesterday, Scott's a bad, he's whatever, 6'2", probably 100 pounds. And they said, Coach, you have anybody freshman? We're heading to Florida. We need a you know, guy who can hit a little, throw a little, maybe pitch some, play. I said, well, this kid right here. And they're like, no, he's got to be a freshman. I said, well, he's a freshman. And just like in the movies, he turns on one, hits a home run. Uh, they meet with his family afterwards, and he leaves in the morning to go with the Bulls. 
And I love the Bulls and they're great for baseball, but I just love the way they discovered Scott Rowland. You know, they were on their way to Florida, basically a pickup game just for fun. Who's this kid? And next thing I know, he's packed his bags. And that's back when it was one team. I mean, you're the best 18 or whatever they carried in the entire state. And so uh, that's the connection there and how kind of opened the door. Mock and Phil Kendall also played there, you know, with the Bulls. So it's, it's a neat story, but uh and like you said, travel's been around longer than people think. And Mock's a great story, too, because he signs professionally out of high school, doesn't work out, then goes and play, plays quarterback at LSU for Nick Saban, who had recruited him at Michigan State. Yeah, Mock's on our 96 team, and he was our uh, third baseman for basically three years. He wins. I move him to center field and to the mound. What kids do that today? You know what I mean? And so he moves to center field, pitches for us. We win state. He's never thrown a ball 90 miles an hour. He beats like the number five team in the nation in the state championship game. Throws 91, 92, hits one up across the street the night before a victory field. And he had committed to play at Michigan State for Coach Saban is the connection there. And then the Cubs take him. He wins Mr. Baseball. And uh, – He's drafted, I think, in the sixth round, and he plays almost four years of minor league baseball, including up with the uh, lug nuts, right, up in Michigan, and stays in contact with Saban. Then, what is he, 26, 27 years old, playing at LSU and leads him to a national championship at a quarterback, and I think that's one of Nick's heroes right there, right, Nick? Yep, he was one of my favorite Jasper players for sure. Well, and it seemed around that time, Josh Booty was doing, Chris Wanky. It seemed like there were three guys that were playing professional baseball that that got out and and had pretty good college football careers after that. Nick, yeah, what? It's just go ahead. Saw the picture. No, I mean the guy. You know, won Mister Baseball, and he <laughs> plays in the NFL. And I was lucky enough to coach him for four years. You know, I've been a blessed man. We we played in ten state title games. We've had nine Mental Attitude Board winners. I mean, that's just unheard of, and it shows, and Nick is one of them, and it just shows what kind of kids we've been able to coach over the years here. Nick, what has Tracy Archuleta meant to you? Well, first of all, he, he gave me a, a chance to, um, um, to enjoy the, the game of baseball again. Um, went to play Division One baseball, not because it was the hype Division One baseball. It was just um, successful at the time, and then just wasn't the right fit. I ended up getting hurt, um, and I ended up transferring to him. And uh, it, it was it was so similar to how I was raised and within Jasper and the simplicity of it. And the guys were all from the tri-state. And um, so, first of all, just him giving the opportunity with that it w- was remarkable and helped get me back to enjoying the little things about the game and, and hanging out with teammates again and um, just a little better camaraderie at the time. Um, and then, obviously, he gave me a – uh, I was a graduate assistant. Once I finished up, we went out to the World Series, and then uh, a week later, I'm on I'm on the road going to Lamar, Colorado, to watch a junior college game. And I said, "Well, what am I doing?" He said, "You'll figure it out." And I said, "Am I flying?" He said, "No, you're driving 17 hours." And I said, "All right, perfect, appreciate it." Um, but no, in all seriousness, I learned so much with, um, and I thank him a lot for the opportunity to be next to him in the dugout, and he allowed me to coach third base and as a graduate assistant and let me go on the road and communicate with other coaches at other schools. And um, I just, the big thing I learned about him is things within the game and when it's time to hit and run and when it's time to bunt. And uh, he was really good out of the bullpen too, which I thought was really impressive things that, um, you know, I knew, I knew about, but didn't have a great feel for yet, obviously. So, um, and then he actually was kind of the leading guy and helping me get my job at Indian Hills 
um, Coach Torres and him were at Wisconsin Parkside way back in the day. And uh, that's kind of the connection there. And I ended up at Indian Hills because of those two guys. And I think Coach Torres, same thing for um, giving me the opportunity and allowing me to recruit and be the head of a pitching program the first year and then move to the offensive side and be the hitting coach the second year. So could have done it without him. And I, I'm very thankful for him. Terry, Andy Noblet and I were, were teammates at Evansville, but then he comes back and he's at Jasper. Talk about what it's like to have one of your former players come back. He's the AD for a little bit. And just talk about Nobs a little bit. Yeah, it starts with his dad. His dad is the one that hired me, Don Noblet, and he's the coach that led him to the state in 67, 68. He hires me in 85 to be assistant football coach. And then uh, Andy came along and Andy was a four-year. We brought him up later as a freshman. Uh, one of the smartest players and smartest humans, just a great kid. He's, of all the guys I've ever had, he's the best. You could stand behind a mountain. He said, it's going to run down and in. It's going to go away. And this was, you know, early 90s. I knew nothing about pitching, just throw it over the plate. Hard worker, loved coaching him. Um, he has the record for the longest wedding I've ever attended, but that's a whole nother story. And then he gets back to Jasper and he's on the staff. That's, that's so fun. I, and most of my staff is former players. Then he gets promoted and he's my boss. He's the AD. All right, that's good. I got no problem with it. He's a good AD. And now he, with young family and all, he stepped down. He's back in the classroom and now he's coaching. And his youngest son is a sophomore in our program. So it's just baseball, you know, the game is great. But as you know, it's about the relationships. And baseball connects you to so many people in so many different ways. And so I've got, you know, him on the staff and some other former players. And it's, even the guys that didn't play for you, there's a connection and it's just awesome. So he's a typical guy that's just very proud to have part of Jasper baseball history. Quick break for another one of our sponsors, Mark Pro. That is M-A-R-C Pro. Personally, I used it as a coach for my ragged out BP arm and legs after a tough workout. We saw huge benefits with our pitchers and position players in decreased soreness and recovery time. It's an amazing machine that speeds up the recovery process by getting blood flow back to the areas that need it. It's durable and cost-effective. The Mark Pro needs to be a tool in your peak performance toolkit. I can't recommend it enough. Hit me up if you have any questions. Order now on markpro.com and use the promo code ABCA to get 10% off. Now back to the podcast. Terry, any other mentors along the way for you, that, the guys that helped you out along the way? Yeah, you know what? I could, I could name, I won't, but I can name my Little League coaches. I can name, they all had an impact. And one of the things I always try to tell Nick is I, I learn from bad coaches sometimes even more. And when I say bad coaches, just that connection, that vibe. Or I, I knew I wanted to coach when I was in high school. I kept a little notebook and I'm like, I had a coach that always said, give me, you know, give me everything. And I'm like, I don't play for you. I play for Greencastle, you know, and I never forgot that. And when I correct myself saying it, if I ever do, I corrected immediately and just say, hey, you're not playing for me, but give us this. We want this or that. I think that's huge. But I love the best thing I did is I wasn't afraid to ask anybody questions. Uh, I was in GA for Coach Meyer at DePaul. Learned a lot there. I coached basketball from Mike Steele and took a lot of things from him. Got hired as a football coach, Jerry Brewer, legend. Talk about keeping it simple. So I tried every relationship. I've tried to get something out of it. But uh, it was the legends like Ken Schreiber, I mentioned, who coached at Laporte, just a legend nationally. And you know what he'd do? He'd tell you anything, anywhere. And in fact, after 92, I was feeling sorry for myself because that's the best team I'll ever have. Thank you, Memorial. 
And uh, best team I ever have. And I was talking to him and I said, coach, if I can't win with that group with Roland as my number four pitcher, I'm never going to win. He goes, you're going to win. It's going to be a team you never expected. And after your first one, they're going to come. It's going to be easy. And you're going to be a good one. Now, whether he told that to every kid he talked to that night, doesn't matter because I believed him. So I try to help out any young coach I can. I don't have the answers, but I look to the veterans and Indiana Baseball Coach Association is an awesome organization. And uh, that's all I did. I just shut up and listened. I hung around the best coaches. I still sit in the front row. I go to the ABCA. Nick will vouch for me. But uh, if I'm up till 3.30, I'm there at that 8 o'clock meeting. I take notes. I don't leave. I bring a snack. And I'm not that active, you know, among other coaches. But I try to soak up everything I can. Yeah, what are some memories for you from the ABCA, from the convention? I – I have great ones. I wish I could tell you some of them because they're after hours, but that's where you learn. I mean, I actually just sat with some legends that um, had no business talking to me. That's the thing I like about this clinic. I mean, it could be Tommy Lasorda sitting there. And if you talk to him, he's going to talk to you. He's going to tell you anything. It could be major league players. You could be sitting after hours, you know, and just talking in the hallway. And uh, so I, what got me was just these people that you see on TV um, you know, obviously Coach Corbin would be one today and you introduce yourself to him and he makes you feel special. He has no idea who you are. But baseball coaches and at ABC, BCA, they, they will tell you anything and everything. I coach football. I coach basketball. I'm not knocking them. They keep all the secrets, you know. But baseball coach will give you five different ways to throw a curveball. And you could be their number one opponent. And that's what I love about the game of baseball. It, you just don't find it any different. So when I go to the clinics, I, I just – you don't know which one's going to hit you. You can read the bio and, oh, I'm not going to miss this. Oh, I'll skip this. And you stay and you're like, oh, I'm so glad I stayed. So I just look at it. If I go to the clinic and I got one thing, it's worth it. Now I've got a connection. I got my son going, staying with me, whatever. It, you just can't put a price tag on it. Nick, what's your experience, Ben? Well, first of all, I want to thank the ABCA for allowing me to be a, a member since I think I was a – freshman in high school when I was the assistant coach for Jasper. So thank you for that. But um, no, it's, it's been awesome. I mean, he knows the Indiana tree so well that I got to meet all of those coaches and all the success they've had and, you know, got to sit in the hotel room and, and, um, and talk it up there. But obviously just being able to, while I was playing in college and um, while I was coaching and, and, and just taking little notes, you know, everybody sees the drills and everybody sees the, um, the big stuff that's up on the board, but just the small bits in between or something that may not seem like a big, big deal while they're doing their presentation, but going back later and finding that person and say, Hey, what do you mean by this? And those are kind of how I look at it now, just because there's so much information as we all know out there via social media or wherever. Um, I kind of try to find the the avenues of the not so obvious, I guess. So through com through conversations or um, I like those breakout groups that everybody's doing afterwards and, and just having those conversations, I think have been awesome and where I've learned the most. How are you navigating social media right now as a younger coach? I mean, you're just getting into this thing. And I think about myself back then, if I was your age getting into it now, I think that social media piece would be the hardest thing. I'm, I'm old now, I'm 47. So I, I think I have a little better feel how to navigate it. I don't know how, if I would have done a great job as a young coach or a player even with social media, I don't know how well I would navigate it. So how are you navigating social media? Well, it's a, it's a tricky thing. Cause you can get lost down a rabbit hole pretty quick. You can, you don't truly know the player. He, he looks good in a three second video and then it's a follow and then it's a phone call. And then, so 
so it, it's great that it, it leads to recruiting and it's almost like a, just a recruiting page for each one of them. Um, however, it's also a recruiting page for each one of them. So you do spend a lot of extra time on there, um, but it's good. It, it brings a lot of good, um, especially when it's done right. The one thing on my end, on the coaching end that I probably behind on is I don't put a whole lot out myself. Um, I know that's kind of in the coaching tree. Like some guys like to put the drills and um, this is what we're doing. This is what we like. That's just not me personally. Um, one thing that I might need to look into doing more so for employment down the line, but um, I, I really like it from the recruiting in. And, and also you, you get it, you do get a chance to know who the kid is come when you recruit a kid and it's coming on campus, you have a chance to, you know, what he's like and what his personality is like. So I think it brings a lot of good. Uh, I would be, I would prefer the generation without it and, you know, don't have any of it personally, but it does it from the recruiting and it's a lot of good. And I will say for the kids, I think it, it does add a little, um, uh, a little pressure, I would say, to how they have to manage that and how they, you know, try to act professional and, and all that stuff. But overall, I think it's a positive and helps in the recruiting world. What's been the differences for you coaching at junior college now? Maybe some things that you didn't know going into it before you got to junior college. Yep. So one out of high school, if I'm looking back now, I would, I would go play junior college. I uh, just from one, the physical aspect of being able to be baseball only, take care of academics, get in the weight room, the amount of hours that I can spend and become a better baseball player is, is remarkable at this level. It's just the hands-on experience of, okay, we have weights in the morning, you got practice in the afternoon. If you want throw BP at nine o'clock at night and you want to hit, let's hit. And if you want to take ground balls, let's take ground balls. So the connections are, I think, are easier to come by as well with the players, just because, especially as a younger assistant, you're usually in those um, later hour situations where they want to talk and they want to dive into hitting and even if they're talking about their life or whatever it is, it's just um, the connections are easier to make um, at the junior college level. Um, the other thing that I, I we, we talk about is, um, you know, academics is a big part of it when you're talking to the kids about, well, I don't want to go to junior college because of the academic side. Well, the way we, we kind of look at it is if you're not going to Harvard and you're not going to Yale, your, your first year classes are pretty similar everywhere you go. And then you're going to cut your financial expenses, expenses in half then by the time you declare your major, when you transfer, um, you'll have those courses that you want and you need at, at the four-year level and take care of it that way. But I just think it's a great option for kids. It's it's not just for dummies. As people say, it's it's kids at the high level of talent and high ceilings, and it's especially coming back now with the way the draft set up and kids wanting to go junior college and get drafted. And um, with the roster sizes at the four-year level, it's a great option for kids to come to junior college and get, be get better and go earn a scholarship. I'll tell you what, I, I mean, I coached uh, not a ton of junior college players. Seemed like later on, Iowa, Western Illinois coached more junior college players. They were some of our best students, honestly. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, and, and I agree with you. I think it gets a, a rap for – I don't know where that rap came from, and I don't know if it's because of basketball and football maybe, but all of my junior college guys were really good students, were, were mature, could handle it. Um, you know, everybody's got ups and downs, but for the most part, I felt like they're pretty good students actually. Yeah, and the time management part is huge in junior college. It's because you do put so much towards your sport, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, tennis, whatever it is, um, that you do have to go take care of academics at the end of the day. And, and on the same side of that, we we are able to track that a lot easier. You know, on a more personal level, we can go find professors. We can get extra help. We can we can do all those things. Give them the right tools to when they transfer, they're ready to go at a four year level. 
Um, and it's a high expectation for them to do well in the classroom. Terry, what have been the attributes of your players that have gone on to the next level, whether it's pro or, or college, that have been successful? I think the number one thing we get is they'll say they, they understand how to work hard. Uh, Heath Uppencamp was uh, graduated in 98 and valedictorian. He goes to Purdue and their coach is like, man, he's number one in every conditioning drill we have. And we're laughing because he was in the bottom third with us. But I, I'm most proud of the work ethic. Um, I lack in a lot of the technology. You know, kids will come back, you know, they're talking about spin rate and exit and this and that. And, uh, and I, I can help them with uh, I, I take a lot of pride. And I feel like our kids are mentally prepared, physically prepared, uh, prepared. They understand what needs to be done. They have a balance. I've never tried to make baseball bigger than life. Um, uh, just never, that's never been in me. I love it, but then there's other parts in life that are far more important. And so we try to push that to those kids because we don't want them to go into college thinking their self-worth hinges on their baseball career. So I think the balance of working hard and being a good, respectful person, and then the eagerness and willingness to pick up the new stuff. You know, we don't overcoach it at our level but we tell them they need to be ready. And I think we do a good job of preparing kids just for how to be a good teammate, how to be a coachable kid. So the rest of it, I never look at it as if a kid has a great career in college or not as being a success or failure. Did that coach, that coach happy. I mentioned Heath Uppencamp. He pitched some for him. They said they'd take him every time over and over and over. And that's what I want a coach to say. And that's what I want our players to feel like because not all our kids go on and play and they could, but they have it pretty good here. I mean, you've seen our stadium. We got a, brick and concrete stadium seats, 2,300. We've got just about anything you could want. We've got a JV field that has 90-foot must-go lights and 500 seats. And uh, they have it pretty good here. And we want them to go on and play, but I think we do a good job preparing them. It's also like a job. You guys know better than me. I just watched it, you know, from Nick's standpoint. I never realized. Like, Nick was a two-way player, Division One. I. I thought, what a great compliment. What a great honor. I never looked at it. You guys would be laughing because you know that means you have to go to every workout, the pitcher workout, the hitting workout, the fielding workout. So it's double the work. But I think our kids are prepared just mentally and physically how to be a good teammate, how to work hard, and then hopefully they'll pick up whatever else they need to learn as far as the play in that program. Have you pivoted on any of your philosophies? Are they been pretty <laughs> have they been the same since you started? I know you've got some uh, simple no. stuff, but have you have you pivoted on anything? I, I, yeah, I listen, I look and I, I leave a clinic and I've changed a lot on technique or, you know, you go to the clinic and decide, okay, rotational hitting it is, I heard Epstein speak and I, and I try, I go to that clinic and I'm like, I'm worthless. <laughs> you know, you hear all these guys in charts, we go in the tournament this year and other teams are sending me scouting reports. I don't even know what they are. I covered in our state championship game. I covered my clipboard because I didn't want anybody to see what my notes actually say or do. So, yeah, I try to be open-minded. And if I got a young guy that, hey, we're going to do this, I'm all for trying it. And we've changed a lot, like stretching and the mental part. I didn't realize. I used video back in the 80s and 90s. In fact, I spoke at the high school national clinic, of all things, on technology. And it was about videotape in baseball because of my football background. And I got our basketball coach to start using it because of that. So I, to say I haven't changed would be wrong because I wouldn't be around. But at the end of the day, probably not a whole lot on what our fundamentals are. But I certainly am open and trying to learn new things. But I'm like that. I mean, Ryan, let's be honest. Uh, this is my first year to not use a DOS system for our stats. 
All right, everything's on that one laptop, and we went to uh, the Game Changer this year, and it's not as good. It doesn't give me the same numbers. It doesn't, you know. But uh, I will change, but uh, not a whole lot. I'll I'll chime in on that. I have <laughs> buddies from the tri-state that would play us in high school, and they're like, Jasper, Jasper, Jasper. Like, yeah, you win, but all you do is bunt, and you bunt, and then you bunt a run in, and then you win like three to one. I'm like, yeah. It, well, yeah, we, we won three to one. You, you didn't. So uh, I think that's a, that's a staple that's never going to change. And that was Memorial Baseball also. Uh, Terry, any drills that you're still doing, like you started in the beginning that you still like, that you're still having guys do? Because we get a ton of questions on drills. Yeah, we like to. I, we bunt under pressure. We bunt, we, you know, like anyone, but we'll put cones out and there's points and they have to get them down. Or we'll do a drill where, you know, there's 10 guys in the group. I mean, out of 10, got it down. They got to get this. We try to make practice. The biggest thing we've done, Ryan, is practice is just as intense or more intense, and I try to go that same rate. I'm not knocking the other styles, but I'm saying after a kid leaves here, he may go to college, and they're going to work on his footwork more on rounding the ball. I'm old school, catch the ball, throw it over there. I, you know, I'm a step, step, throw. I'm not a go sideways. I'll tell them, hey, save that for travel, but until June, whatever – just step to your target. I'm not knocking the other style, but it takes me a while. So one place I've changed, I used to have, you know, two ways to turn a double play. Now I'll let them, let's just watch them. I'm good with that. And there might be something I can't do, but I, you can't teach a German how to dance your way. You can't make certain kids. So I don't care. I'd be talking hitting and rolling. We go coaches that are right. If I, Scott, I'm not talking to you. Just ignore me. I'm talking to a kid hitting 120, trying to get him to 180 or 200. You do whatever you do. So I've never cloned guys, but I definitely will. If they're failing, then I'll say, okay, let's try this. But I'm not one of those that you're going to do it my way or get, get your butt home. But if you do it your own little flair and you screw up, uh, you're probably going to get yelled at more than the kid that had two hands up in the right position to release and throw, you know, little things like that. Nick, what about you? Are there some things that you've kept uh, from with your time with your dad? Uh, one, just the, the intensity of practice, um, the speed of practice, the, you don't have to be there for three hours to be productive. You can be tripping sweat after an hour and a half. And if you do it right, you do it right. You get out of there on a good day. Um, two, just, you know, the communication at practice of, Hey, these are the three things or whatever we're doing. This is what I expect. And you just roll. There's no, Hey, what's next? Or, you know, how long are we going to do this or this and that? And, um, and I kind of hinted, hinted at it, but I really like that when it's time to work on something, it's time and we'll extend the time a little bit. And if we know what we're doing and we're clean and the guys are have high energy or whatever, we get out. So that's something I definitely um, want to take with me continuing going forward. And then just uh, just how we handled the baseball, I guess, in practice and how important each one was. And, you know, he would just remind us of what it takes to win games and three outs or less and three outs or less, three outs or less. Right. And it, that's that's always in my brain no matter which step or which coaching spot I've been is three outs or less. And um, you can't walk guys and let them score. So. Any, anything you've pivoted on tweaked a little bit. Well, there's a lot more, a um, lot more chatter in terms of how we hit the baseball and um, how our footwork is and base ceiling's a big thing. I'm definitely a little more new school. I got Matt Tallarico was at Dayton when I was there. So I got firsthand experience and that was like year three that he was trying it, I think. So, are starting that out. So I got a lot of that stuff that's a little more, and I'm, I'm starting to get into um, the Rapsodos and 
um, driveline stuff, gotten trained on some of that. Um, so I'm starting to implement it. My big thing is it's, I'm like everybody else, it's all good. I just want to take what little information we need from that and pass it on to our guys because if a guy wants it and he needs it and he, he loves talking it, we'll, we'll give him the information. If he's not, I'm all for it. Keep it simple. Keep hitting the baseball well. Um, and a big thing we do on the offensive side is we'll, we'll just put exit speed on there and, you know, you're hitting it hard and you're not. For a lot of those guys, that's all they want to know, right? And um, But anyway, I would say we just go a little more detailed in terms of, in terms of footwork and, and some hitting philosophy stuff, but it works at the high school level, so I wouldn't suggest getting into all that. When are you implementing the base running during practice? Uh, so I just got to Walter State this summer, um, and Coach Shelton is letting me work with some some base runners now. Our big thing is we may not be the best base stealing team in the country, but we're going to be the best dirt ball read in the country. We're going to know where we're at on the field at all, all times. Um, so for me, it's just making sure I know where I'm at with my leads, getting my 12-foot lead, my 6-foot lead, whatever I need, be in the right position takes all the fear out of the runner's mind and, and the fear of getting picked off is just eliminated. So it just gives them confidence to play and you're on time, you go. It's, it, it's a complex system. It's not, but it's just really simplified and, you know, it just makes them feel comfortable. That's kind of the direction that we're headed. All right. Everybody has to answer this. So Terry, you go first. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now is one of the best things that happened to you? What was the first part I cut out? I'm sorry. Do I have a do you have a do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something uh, that you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now is one of the better things that happened to you? You know, we joked about it earlier, but uh, 1992, we were loaded. You guys were one, and we were one and two, and we got beat. It was a heartbreaking loss, and I was still pretty young, coach. And um, I looked out on the field. Uh, you know, my catcher was on a knee. Some guys were down and they got their heads up. They didn't lay around, flop around. They shook hands with the Memorial Tigers. And I knew in my heart I'm on the right path because anybody can win. It's not, not everybody can win with class, but when you can lose, when it's gut wrenching, then I knew, Hey, these guys, I mean, and there's a picture of that group up from my wedding. I got married in 92 and it took me about eight months before I actually just cried. <laughs> I was and I learned so much and it reassured me because even if we had never won a state championship, I would feel like a complete coach because when you at your hardest moment like that and they get it, you know, you're doing something besides just teaching how to hit a baseball. Nick, what about you? Uh, for me, it's probably, we went to the world series uh, senior year at Southern Indiana and uh, got beat in two games. And, you know, it was obviously a really low point into my career and who wasn't going to play professionally, that sort of thing. But, just the connection you have with those guys for two years um, and just how heartbreaking it was and, you know, feeling like you let them down instead of just yourself. And, um, but then off of that, they're the same six to 10 guys that we stay in communication with all the time. And, you know, the whole brotherhood thing is a, is a real deal. And it's a big positive that we went through that stuff together because it's, it's what keeps us close as the years go by. Any evening or morning routines, Terry, you're in good shape still for 60. I mean, you're, you're still, <laughs> and you've got a ton of energy. What, what are done some, well as of late. <laughs> what are, do you have any routines that you have either morning or evening that you feel like help you? Oh yeah. I, I, the best thing I did four years ago, I got a hot tub. I'd wanted one my whole life. And, uh, I start every morning in there and I end every evening and I don't talk about it a lot, but I've read about every mental book you can, not only on baseball, but, 
uh, turned my life around. My wife, we were dating at the time. She gave me Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking. And it just hit me. You know, I read it now and I don't even get that same connection. You know how life you're in that moment. And I've tried to read. I couldn't quote great authors, but there's a couple of books I go back to and I read and just try to get myself in that place. And then the smartest thing I ever did is involve my family. I want to make sure I mention that. Nick was born. Then we had uh, uh, Sarah and then Sarah got uh, sick with leukemia. She passed away at the age of two and a half. And Nick's always had a connection. He was her big brother. Then we had Maria. Laura, Julia, and Carolyn, when the day she took over the concession stand, baseball became something that pulled us together instead of being gone. Now, she may hate every moment of it, but she's done it for over 25 years or more, and it's a thing that brings us together. And I mentioned Sarah because uh, you go through a, a child like that, and they can yell at me all you want when their child didn't play or start, and I don't say anything, but inside, I know I'm doing the right thing. There's bigger things in life. And one of my best moments was a kid from our earlier championship talked to our team and he said, coach told us when we won the state, this is the greatest compliment accomplishment we ever have in our lives. And we've had a very shallow life. And so I'm not trying to make this so big, but I love trying to win, but I don't put it. It's not going to be on my tombstone it's the relationships and it's just knowing that kids are learning the game. And that's what I love about baseball. You fail seven out of 10 times, you'd be one of the best ever to play. So you just can't get anywhere else. Nick, what about you? Any r routines that you're in right now? I know it's hard as a young coach cause you're doing everything, but do you have any that you like? Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get up earlier. Uh, tried to get up about six in the morning and um, married into a dog, great dog. So, I'm the dog walking guy in the morning or go for a jog and come back get coffee. And I'm a, I'm a big podcast guy. So whether the ABCA or any other baseball podcast or a lot of mental performance stuff that's out there, um, I like to listen to while doing that. And then at night I'm starting to read more into um, kind of the um, technology stuff, even if it's just 20 minutes of, a, of an article that I see and um, try to learn that way and um, go about that. But, Need to get in the weight room more. Need to get in weight. Look, it's, hard. it's hard. It's hard in, in the beginning, man. And then, it's you know. tough as a young coach because you, you got so much going on. It, it took me yeah. forever to get back in the in the weight room. Um, it, it has been huge just having a wife that makes good food, though. That's been that's been a difference maker. What other podcasts are you listening to? Uh, I'm listening to the Dugout Chatter podcast with Sheets, and um, I, I, I listen to some. It's not really baseball related, but a lot of Joe Rogan's. Um, guests that he has on there that offer really good I, I just one of my favorites just because it offers may not be baseball obviously but a lot of mental stuff or things you don't think about and um, listen to some marines on there whoever it is that just you know you, you, small takeaways every day that kind of keep you motivated and keep you going yeah tim ferris is that that for me that extra podcast and the huberman yeah. lab those have been two the, the ferris one i've listened to forever um he yeah. got me he got me pointing in the right direction when I was starting to struggle a little bit at Western Illinois. His It always just seemed like the message that I needed or training right. or some other things, some lifestyle tweaks here and there. He just he came along at the right time for me. And I do read a lot, but his his books, The 4-Hour Workweek, The 4-Hour Body, he's just got so many like lifestyle hack books, tribe of mentors that are, are really good. Um, I always pick something up from, from his podcast, always, always. For sure. Hey, do you guys want to? I, I, this is the first question for me. I just it popped in my head this morning. But 
Do you guys have a question for each other that you want to ask? Nick, what's your favorite baseball memory at Jasper High School with you and I? Of you and me? I, got two. <laughs> I have two. One, I was a freshman at Evansville Central, tried to field a ball on the run, booted it, come in the dugout, get a nice, nice earful. And then he proceeded to tell me that the only reason I was playing was because he happened to, the head coach happened to be sleeping with my mom. So whatever that means to anybody, but uh, the second one, I would say, I don't remember what year it was. He might be able to remember what game, but I'm pitching, I throw a strike. It was a strike, called the ball, held the glove there for half a second as I caught and received the ball, turn around, I hear time, sir. And then I see the catcher start to run out and he just gives a finger and goes, nope. And uh, it's just me and Coach Gover on the mound. And I have no idea to this day what he said, but I do remember wiping my face off with a handful of spit. So he got me good on that one, but obviously a, a good lesson learned there. But those are probably top two for me. Now, you, you called him Coach Gobert, and that was the same thing with my brother and I. It was always Coach Brownlee. Like, our friends would make fun of us because we'd be at a family function or Christmas or Thanksgiving, <laughs> and it would be Coach Brownlee. And we would have – they would – I'm like, no, he's, it's Coach Brownlee. Well – I got sarcasm from my from my father, Coach Gobert. So a lot of it was, you know, me just, you know, giving it to him a little bit of practice and making it kind of awkward and saying, Coach Gobert, hey, Coach Gobert, can we do this? But no, I really did. I, I practiced. It was it was Coach. I tried not to do the dad thing. And I respect what he did to me. And he actually did the color on um, basketball and football for high school games. And he'd say, you know, Gobert, a nice play right there or whatever, never never made it too personal. So I, re I really did respect that though. In all seriousness. Do you have a question for your dad? Well, what's, what, what's yours? What's your, your, uh, your story. Uh, one over at Southridge in league stadium and you were on a pitch count, <laughs> had some injuries, it's a big rivalry game and he's done. He's passed his count. And he's I'm looking out there, Ryan, and he's shaking his head. No. Cause he's all I'm thinking. So then I sent it. Was it coach Kendall? Then coach I think Kendall, I yeah. sent the pitching coach up to get him and he's staring me down the whole time and I'm kind of just walking away in the dugout and then he came in to get his fielding glove and I believe my player said if you're not man enough to come get me yourself then don't take me out of the game <laughs> and I didn't smile at the moment but I was smiling inside definitely and uh for me it would be just it's it's just watching Nick perform and have fun and you know we got beat two to one he won the middle attitude award and I got to get him over this. A red sometimes, you know, it's hard earned every time. But for him and I to get to finish at Victory Field, we got beat by a guy who made it to the major leagues, uh, what, three years later, two to one to Norwell. Van Meter was on the mound. Nick pitched for us, beautiful game. And to stand there after the dugout and just watch how he handled it made me very, very proud. So it's never been about winning and losing, but. I love the fact that he's coaching, but I think I've made it very clear to him. Don't ever feel like you need to go be coaching. Is that correct, Nick? Don't feel like you need – try to talk him out of a couple times. My parents did too. Yeah. They did. Yeah. Yep. Probably your mom more than anyone. Both, she both. Knows they that. sat me down right in the beginning, and they were like, this is going to be a lot harder than you think it is. I know your dad's a coach, but there's going to be a long, long road. And, you know, if you love it, do it. But but if not, like, go do something else. They're like, you're too smart to be coaching. I'm like, no, I, this is something that I really love doing. Well, what, what you guys do in the college game, and I'm not going to go into blasting anything, but I read these – uh, the hours involved, what you have to do, no stipend, no lessons, no meals, no insurance, and they get to pick and choose. It says a lot, you know, and the fact that uh, 
Uh, Nick loves the college game. That's great. I, I just know, you know, I'm 60 years old. I'm still teaching six U.S. history classes a day. Been the department head probably 25 years. It's definitely changing, but it's pretty cool to live a life and know that good or bad, you've had so many interactions with people and nobody will understand it unless they're a coach or a coach's wife or the kids. And the college game, man, it's amazing the hours these guys put in for <laughs> nothing, <laughs> I mean, literally. Oh, yeah. T- Terry, what advice do you have for a parent that's listening in that has to coach their their child? What advice do you have for them? Yeah, maybe uh, make sure it's easy to say you opened up the dialogue of communication, but um, it's difficult to come home and then you got to deal. And my wife was wonderful about it, but then no escape for the kid. I just maybe find a dialogue or maybe a little bit of way other than baseball. And I think Nick and I survive because we have a good connection. We love sports. I love football. I love basketball, but it would be just every once in a while quit being the coach and be the dad. You know, just I, I wish I'd done a better job of that, but I, I told him every day he's been here that I love him, so I have no regrets. But that would be the best advice is just get away from the baseball the best you can and let him know his self-worth doesn't depend on how well he does. And if he's not good enough to be in the lineup, don't put him in the lineup. Everybody would know it. If you're playing him because he's your son and he doesn't deserve to be out there, that will be even harder for him. Nick, what about you? What advice would you have for a, a player that's listening in right now that has to play for a parent? One, just make sure you're doing the right things that doesn't put him and or her in an awkward position to um, make a decision that they don't really want to make, right? So make a difficult decision if you don't work hard and you don't take care of grades and you're a troublemaker or whatever. So just make sure you're doing the things right. But then kind of what I alluded to earlier is just enjoy the the smaller moments. And when you get home, you got to go your separate ways for a little bit, go your separate ways, but just learn how to, you know, have a flush or, you know, one thing that we did, we went to a lot of different sporting events together or Indiana tailgates or whatever, find something else that's um, that you can still hang out with and not have to dive into what's going on. But then you find that the baseball conversation makes its way back in. And it's a lot easier to talk to one another after you've both kind of, you know, gone a different route to get there. What are some final thoughts, Terry, you want to give a final shout out to Jasper baseball in some way, or just some final thoughts. Yeah, uh, Ryan, just very fortunate the way it worked out. I, I was going to be a basketball coach. I got hired as a football coach and baseball opened up. Just be open and go with it. Um, and then do it your way, but be open. Um, I actually couldn't physically. I was in a car wreck, my shoulder. In fact, I just had surgery like a month ago, and I couldn't hit all year. And what you know what it made me do? It made me open up and give my assistants more. It's so easy as a head coach to take over. And if you got guys that want to do it, my guys did a great job and they always have, but the biggest moments for me as a coach, because at one time I did have to do everything. I had to go find assistant every year. And if you got good coaches, let them coach and they'll give you even more. And also um, just take it in for what it's worth. Just remember their kids and everything you do can impact them. You know, every one of us, I think, wouldn't you love to go back and talk to each kid you coach and apologize for this or that. And you find out they're okay. They, they, you were probably right at the time, but my advice is just keep it in perspective. Now, I'm insane. I got the worst yard in town. You know, I'm one arm and I'm trying to rake the field or do whatever. Keep it in perspective. But then when you leave that field, leave it behind. And if you can get your family involved in it, it can bring a family together instead of pull them apart. Nick, what about you? Final thoughts? Well, first, I just want to say thanks for having us on. This was really cool to, to get involved with and have a chance to talk with dad because he he doesn't like to talk about how great Jasper baseball is a lot. So it's, it's good to hear him open it up. But 
I just want to give a shout out to him and all his and his staff for the continuous su- success. And like I said, the the expectation that's there every year, which is really cool. And knowing just because I have buddies in my class or kids that guys that I played with or guys above me that continue to come back and, and still call him coach and still talk about their experience there and which was ultimately what led me into getting into coaching. I just thought it was the coolest thing ever that, you know, guys at 30 and 40 are coming back and saying thanks um, and just talking about all the success they had. But anyway, just the, the continued tradition. So I just want to make sure um, everyone knows what a great job they're doing there. But my biggest thing is just continue to learn, always continue to learn. Um, and don't be afraid to be different just because you're different doesn't mean you're wrong. Um, but keep going to keep going and be and getting in those smart rooms and keep your mouth shut and, and just continue to learn. All right, I don't want to let this go before I let you guys go, but Terry, just there's a lot of common bonds with tradition-rich high school programs. You know, Jasper Memorial. I mean, there's so many across the United States that just have that tradition. Do you have feeder programs at Jasper with the, the young kids? Well, I'm so glad you mentioned that because we still have Little League. We have Babe Ruth. I've been on the board of directors for 30-some years. We had 500 kids. Um uh, I'm labeled as against travel ball. I'm not, but I've coached American Legion for, I think, 35 years. We coach, we drop our seniors unless they have nowhere to play. We play in the summer and we have a young team that plays. I coach them. We don't get paid a penny, but we had 500 some kids playing in our youth program. My concern is baseball is going to become for the wealthy, not knocking. We have a great tennis program here and you take lessons your whole life and you go to these tournaments and so many kids, I see them. If they don't make, we had uh, Scott Rowland help start the J cards and that the purpose of that, like the Bulls, but it wasn't to win ball games, but give kids more opportunities to play other teams and finding that balance. Because I just I'm still, you know, when we won the Sim State, guess what we do? We go to Dairy Queen. Phyllis runs a tab. I go down and pay it. They get everything they want. I'm I'm going to die this way. I'm a believer. You play baseball and you get on your bicycle and you ride home with your buddies and you go to Dairy Queen. And I, I love going to our youth games and seeing them wearing Jasper hats, not their travel team hats. Uh, one one season they started wearing their travel helmets when we batted, so we personally just bought them all new helmets that say J on it. Um, I just think that's so important. But I've been really involved and continue to be involved, and we're making some decisions now because they're done the first week out of school. The season is over, all based on the Little League All-Stars. So I think we're going to extend it or just make it open and then we've got a couple guys that start on Sundays to show up. I'll go out there and with the split teams, coach pitch like we used to do. So, man, if you can get involved and get them to love it, and that's one reason I never coached Nick in, like, All-Stars or any of that. They had a chance. They got to the Final Four, and Josh Rogers is on the hill for New Albany, and Mark Giesler, who's one of my coaches in pitch division one, and Josh is in the big leagues. And I didn't coach, and part of me wished I had because they had enough ability, you know, to go to the Midwest or get further. But I felt that was biting off the hand that feeds me. It was a slap in the face of all of a sudden taking over when my son's involved. So I'm visible, I'm there, and uh, they feed us. But we still have a community where ultimately the kids' goal, and it's one of the hardest things now, is getting kids to think about the team. And I think that's one reason we did well in 4A because some of the teams, I'm not knocking them, but Back of their minds are thinking, okay, if we lose, I'm going to Cincinnati or I'm going to Atlanta. And our kids grew up together and they're still playing together. You know, we won the state in 4A and I had a kid go whatever, 14-0, and and he throws 81 to 82 miles an hour. The other pitcher is low 90s and verbal committed to Indiana. Who would I give the ball to? A kid throwing in the 80s. 
because he just throws strikes and battles. So we try to keep that alive. And I think that's one of our strengths, but I'm glad you brought that up. I just think it's so important to try to keep local leagues alive the best you can. That would be one of the things if I was going to coach high school baseball, I would start to build the feeder program if we didn't have it, because that's where those kids, those young kids, they're wearing your gear and they want to play for, for that team when they get to high school. It's just all part of it. Yeah, we sell, we, we sell so many t-shirts, hats. We have a, a full menu concession stand. You know, we opened up that first week. I sent a video to Nick. We had 1,800 people in, in the seat to watch our opener because we hadn't had baseball for a year. And, uh, you know, we try to get that gear on them. Um, I, I'm an idiot probably, but I've never given a lesson and charged. I'll go with any kid that wants to go in there and, you know, hit or do whatever. But uh, we want our kids just dreaming of playing at Jasper baseball. We want them playing football. And one last point I'd like to make, we played 4 A's the biggest in Indiana. Our starting 10, we had one guy that was baseball only, four that played two sports in high school, and five of our starters played three sports. And I not too many teams can say that. We, we want them playing football or basketball or whatever. I want them involved. Love it. Thank you guys very much. This is always great reminders for me. So thank you guys very much. Well, we appreciate you having on. Nick's better than me at thinking. I get kind of nervous, but uh, I really appreciate, Ryan, the opportunity. And it's extra fun on the connection with you and also, um, what's his name, Nick, being around him. It's good to see as well. Yeah, Love thank you, you both. I'm real really proud of you both. I was pumped to be able to talk to Terry and Nick. I have so much respect for what Coach Gobert has done at Jasper. He's a blueprint for any coach taking over a program. I love how forward-thinking he is, but he also understands what core values to hold on to. I want to wish Nick the best as he embarks on his coaching career. The beginning of your journey in college coaching is never easy, so I wish him the best. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email at albrownlee at abca.org, Twitter and TikTok at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Don't